The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is John Silver, lead recruiter of The Dark Order, and you are listening to All Things Elite. Welcome to the 163rd episode of Social Suplex's podcast about AEW with a proclivity for positivity, because God knows we need it now. Welcome to All Things Elite. My name is Austin Summers. I am the host of this lovely show. Joining with me, as always, is my good buddy Floyd Johnson Jr. And joining with us for this episode is our good friend JR, Lucha Professor himself on Twitter. You guys, you doing good? JR, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing well on this uh, Tuesday evening. It is hot as hell, though. It is 100 plus degrees for the last two weeks of the following week in, in, in my little slice of hell. And you, Floyd? I am doing great. I am happier than a pig in poo. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I love, I love, I love uh, the dirt. And we got plenty of it to talk about tonight. I just got back from a five-day vacation in uh, shout out in Schaumburg, Illinois. Shout out to Josh and shout out to my boy Tyler. And he hung with me all week, and y'all know you know the type of schedule I keep. Sometimes it's a little hard to hang with me. So the fact that he hung with me and we got our pictures and we got all that stuff. It's, I want to give one special shout out to my boy, formerly Neville in the WWE, the Bastard Pack. This is not sarcastic all at all. I really mean this. Thank you for showing up to your meet and greet. Because this is the fourth meet and greet I have bought for Pack since he has... Joined <laughs> AEW in the previous three, probably circumstances beyond his control. I never heard rumors. He was not ever to make, and I was uh, given a refund. So the fact that he showed up, I got to meet him. He actually signed my figure, the Bastard Pack, and not just, uh, you know, just Pack. And it was great. He took his time. Lovely fella. I'd meet him again. But yeah. I don't think I I don't know I don't know if lightning strikes twice and he would show up for two in a row that would be crazy. Yeah. No, but well, I really don't know why he didn't show up to the other ones. I'm just <laughs> I'm just kind of giving shit at that point. <laughs> Regardless, though, I'm glad that your weekend and your uh, all out uh, festivities was great. Um, now here's the deal. As I take a swig of my water before we get into this, 
we cannot dance around this at all. And it's simply because the last few days have been an absolute clusterfuck. Because there's no other word to put it. Um, we're going to just jump right into that. What you know what we're going to talk about. And that's going to be the first thing we talk about. Because uh, we can't just not like talk about this. It's been everywhere. But we'll get the shill out of the way first. Please make sure you guys are downloading this fine show on Google or Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us on Spotify or wherever you guys listen to us. Uh, please give us a share with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you wish. You can leave a rating. You can leave a review. If you're so inclined, you can also leave a donation through our podcast provider. Wait, you can't do that anymore. My bad. Who cares? Uh, either way, follow us on social media. We are at AT Elite Pod on Twitter. At Social Suplex is the guys that make this show possible. Give a love to all the shows that they have. They're great. I am at Austin Sumowitz, S-Z-U-M-O-W-I-C-Z. Floyd is at Floyd Johnson Jr. on Twitter. And our good friend JR is at Lucha Professor on Twitter. So, after All Out, which was a great show, and we're going to talk all about the show itself, which Floyd, I know, had a blast there. I had a ton of fun watching this show. It was great. We're going to hear JR's thoughts on the show as well. But after the show is what everyone has been talking about. So, it's going to lead us into a bit of a spoiler sniff if you like, just get some of the stuff about the end of the show. So... After CM Punk uh, defeated John Moxley to regain the AEW World Te- World Heavyweight Championship, and we saw what happened to close off the show, which we'll save that for when it happens. Um, we go to the uh, traditional media scrum that takes place after AEW's pay-per-views, which is led off by CM Punk. And it is impossible to get to everything he said, but basically this man came out and he had bullets in the chamber and he was shooting from the hip and he was hitting anything that he could because we got angry Phil Brooks back and it was, you know, we've seen CM Punk since he's returned to wrestling, be a very happy guy, very, uh, just Zen guy, a kind of almost unrecognizable to some people. Um, but now we have seen the angry CM Punk which to some fans, he's become unrecognizable again. But trust me when I say, angry CM Punk, we've been familiar with this guy for a bit. So CM Punk comes out and uh, calls out uh, the wrestling journalists in the room, specifically one, uh, his name was Nick, and I believe he worked for Wrestling Inc., if I'm not mistaken. But Nick Houseman. Nick Houseman from Wrestling Inc., correct. Thank you for correcting me, Floyd. No, I was just um, giving you the last name because I figured if you didn't have Sure, it. absolutely. You know what? Works perfectly. So... Uh, He was the first person to ask a question, and before he could even ask his question, Punk interrupts and asks uh, everyone in the room who considers themselves a journalist, a raise of hands. And then he goes to Nick, who says, like, I I try my best. He's like, you you still do improv, Nick? To which he's like, no, not anymore. He's like, when you did improv, Nick, who did you do improv with? And he said, Scott Colton, real life name of Colt Cabana. He goes, "Okay, so. You call yourself a journalist. Um, would you say that you're friends with Scott Colton? Nick says, no, not really. He's like, so you're not friends with him? And he's like, uh, no, we didn't see eye to eye. To which Punk said, oh, wow. Well, that makes two of us. And he says, my point is, if you consider yourself a journalist, even in the silly world of professional wrestling, and you s- report on things mostly that are bullshit, uh, you might want to like mention who you're friends with. So if you if you are friends with him, you blew my spot. If not, I apologize. And he goes immediately into laying out everything regarding his relationship and the fallout with him and Scott Colton, a.k.a. Colt Cabana. 
and he he does all of this to address how uh, a story stories were leaking out about Cole Cabana being fired from AEW and insinuated that CM Punk was trying to get Cole Cabana fired. He ended up getting rehired and signed specifically to a Ring of Honor contract, but it was insinuated that like stories and rumors were coming out that uh, Punk was trying to get him fired. And people that said that in interviews were the young bucks because they said they were the ones that were sticking up for Cole, trying to make sure he didn't, he didn't go, they didn't lose him. And after he talked about everything with his relationship with, with Colt Cabana saying that his relationship hasn't been a, a thing since late 2013, 2014 and talked about how when they were getting sued, um, he paid all of his bills. He has every receipt, is every invoice, every email. And he even has an email from Colt saying, I agree to go our separate ways. You do not, I'll get my own lawyer. You do not have to pay. And the, and the only reason the public didn't know about that email is when he finally had to countersue Colt Cabana through discovery, they discovered that he shares a bank account with his mother. And he said later in the podcast, in the, uh, in the scrum gives you an idea of the kind of character that he is. Uh, and he goes, Again, we have EVPs who couldn't fucking man it, run a target, who spread bullshit and lies that I tried to get him fired when I want fuck all to do with him. Do not care where he works, where he doesn't work, where he eats, where he sleeps. And the fact that I have to get up here in 2022 and say this is fucking embarrassing. And if you're involved, pointing at all of the media people, fuck you. If you're not, I apologize. And then immediately shifts from the Young Bucks and to Hangman Adam Page saying, what did I do for a fucking empty-headed fuck like Hangman Adam Page to go into business on with for himself on national television and say that type of shit? He's like, and he just ripped into Hangman, ripped into the Bucks, and Tony Khan had absolutely no control of the situation as Punk just kept going and going and going. And even went further on to the point where he described when Colt Cabana was suing him for supposedly leaving him high and dry with legal fees. When he when it, when Colt sued him, he asked to talk to Colt. He denied. He asked for mediation. It was not allowed. He offered him money. He said it wasn't enough. And that's when the whole shit hit the fan with that whole thing. So he said, "I'm hurt. I'm 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 tired, and I work with fucking children, and just." A lot of a lot of a different tone than what we've heard from CM Punk over the past year that he's been in AEW. It's a lot, and I know a lot of people want to hear my thoughts on this, but honestly, I'm going to make you wait. Uh, I want to go to our good friends here first on this podcast to give their thoughts, and then I will wrap this whole thing up with a little bow, and then we can talk about all that. But we have to talk about this now. I feel like I've hit on every topic. If I haven't, y'all can go in on it too. I know. In the, media, in, in the media scrum, too, there was footage of security guards rushing backstage as well because after the media scrum, there was a fight that broke out between CM Punk and the Elite involving Ace Steel as well, reportedly. And it led to a chair being thrown at Nick Jackson and giving him a black eye and knocking him out. Reportedly, Ace Steel bit somebody and CM Punk and the Young Bucks were swinging on each other. Everything is a fucking shit show right now. It's just a complete and utter mess. So that is all that has been presented to us on this Tuesday night. We still don't know what we're going to get for Dynamite necessarily. 
We don't even know if those guys are going to be at the show or what's going to happen. But with JR being our guest for this special episode, I want to go to him first. And this man is a big MMA fan. So he is very familiar with these real-life fights and shit and craziness happening outside of events. Hell, I mean, fucking Conor McGregor tried to attack a fucking bus with a with something. I remember that one time. So I know this man is familiar with um, these types of altercations with MMA, the sport that he loves. So I want to go to JR, and we'll get to Floyd, and then I'll, me being the CM Punk fan that I am, I know everyone has been asking about my thoughts, and we'll get to it, but I want to let uh, JR speak first. It's actually kind of funny you bring that up, because to be honest, this this kind of doesn't even phase me as much as wrestling fans are freaking out about it, because I was there in the arena at UFC 229 when uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov fought Conor McGregor, and then he jumped the cage, and attack Connor's corner and there were people legitimately in the crowd getting slept by other fans and there was like almost riots breaking out around the T-Mobile arena and near New York, New York and it was insane like this was this is nothing compared to what I saw like real life with it, at that UFC event but um what I did I, I I'll try to keep uh, my comments as brief as possible because there's a few things I want to touch upon and I, I tend to be long-winded as I'm long-winded right now um, quickly, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, CM Punk and Cabana were a longtime friends. Um, CM Punk's timeline is a little bit off, which, you know, unfortunately, wrestlers' memory are not the best. I'm going to say, you know, not, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he's probably was meaning more. They haven't been friends since like t- 2014, 2015, because um, a lot of these issues began when CM Punk left WWE in 2014. He went on Cole Cabana's podcast, The Art of Wrestling, I believe it's called, which was around November 2014. Uh, he said his, said what he said about his time at WWE, criticized WWE, criticized the, the you know, doctors. In February 2015, the WWE's doctor, I'm not sure if he's still a doctor, Dr. Chris Amon uh, sued Cole Cabana and CM Punk for defamation. It went to court. Um, I believe that lawsuit was uh, was finished in june of 2018 where cm punk uh, according to uh, si article i pulled up won the civil lawsuit um and then in i believe it was in 20 in 2018 i believe late 2018 or early 2019 um Cole filed a lawsuit against cm punk which cm punk referred to as far as you know that the issues about the um, you know, s- settling the differences and talking about his, you know, Colt's mother. Um, that ended up being settled um, around September 2019 when that was finally settled. So that just wanted some, some background in case people weren't familiar with that. Um, obviously, you said everything Punk said. Um, the way I look at it, and I'm going to try to look at this from a from a more professional level considering my background and what i work because while i don't work professional wrestlers working at a university you do deal with people um executive um for us or administrators or professors who tend to have big egos and think they're the kings of their kings of the area that they run in and also try to examine it from a little bit from an nfl perspective which is where tony khan also is a part of as being co-owners of jacksonville jaguars um, I think a lot of people are on the wrong of this. 
I think CM Punk is in the wrong with cutting the promo or his pipe bomb in that situation. The, he, um, if he had an issue, this is something I think as a professional, he should have pulled Tony Khan and aside and discussed these issues and settled it. I completely understand feeling that you, you felt that you've been attacked in the media. Um, I actually have it right here where um, this was a, a clip from the Wrestling Observer back in May of 2022 where they mentioned Cole Cabana saying that he may not be an AEW. And this, uh, the quote was, this may be in some form be related to his issues with CM Punk as why Cole Cabana, since his new contract, he no longer has been a part of AEW. So if they're blaming CM Punk, I, like I said, I completely understand defending yourself, but that's something that should have had a discussion more in, in a private setting, not air out in front of, you know, the wrestling media, which obviously all of us wrestling fans know now because we all listen to it multiple times. Um, you know, but two, two wrongs don't make a right either. With the elite, according to um, a lot of this has been reported through Fightful Select, I actually became a member of Fightful Select to read all the rumors um, and stories that came out was that the, I think the prevailing rumor was um, from the CM Punk slash a steel side was CM Punk was in his dressing room after the press conference wanted um, and the door was closed. Um, the speculation is, is that the elite specifically the young bucks may uh, try to go into the door um, to the point where they may have tried to kick in the door to get to talk to CM Punk. Um, and he um, was not obviously in the right frame of mind, and it turned into the altercation that it did. Um, the side they're saying from Ace Steel is that his wife was there and he was trying to protect his wife, or, which is why he went the way he did, which threw in a chair, I believe, at Nick Jackson and somehow pulled and bit uh, Kenny Omega. Again, this is just rumors and stuff that I'm reading off Fightful Select. I definitely encourage everybody to uh, subscribe to Fightful Select if you can get like, actually a detailed, because there's a lot, and I mean a lot of information that has been released in the last 48 hours that they posted on Fightful Select. Um, we would be here for six hours talking about it if, if I wouldn't buy it play-by-play. And if the elite had a problem, they should have, again, as executive vice presidents, to me, you're held to even a higher standard than your, you know, than CM Punk, who's the biggest star in that company, because you are an executive vice president of your company. They should have instead went directly to Tony Khan afterwards and say, we need to settle this and figure this out because this is creating too much of a volatile situation. Um, you know, the term that's used in the NFL is contract detrimental to the team. Um, there's been significant uh, players in the, in the NFL, two of them that come to mind. One was Terrell Owens, who helped the Philadelphia reach a Super Bowl, where the next year he was ended up being suspended for a specific amount of time and eventually released because of contract detrimental to the team. The other one was Albert Hainsworth, who was playing for Washington, signed a the first ever $100 million contract for a defensive player. And within a year, he was suspended for contract ML team and ended up being traded to the England Patriots. And that's what I look at is that I don't know what the right answer is because of business ramifications, but something does have to happen where you, as Tony Khan, as the owner, 
booker, promoter of all elite wrestling has to set a tone that this situation does not fly, will not fly. This will never happen again. Um, the unfortunate part is based on these rumors and stories is that the locker room doesn't seem to be supporting CM Punk. And I think the the actual thing was that unless CM Punk and A still make significant amends, they would not be welcome in the locker room and would be better off being released from all elite wrestling. Um, so it's, I'm going to leave it at that. Cause like I said, I can go on for 45 minutes and I think you guys will have more to add or go in a different direction. But like I said, I don't know what the answer would be. I definitely think everybody needs to receive some sort of punishment because both sides are in the wrong in different ways. Okay, um, that was Jr. Well, uh, just a little color on me. I was actually at All Out. Um, uh, as I've been to all of them, that is neither here nor there. But I was there, and I was leaving. And it's a hard time getting out All Out, whether you have your own car or not. So I'm sitting in the car, and someone puts on the scrum. And I'm like, I don't even watch these. I generally don't watch them. I'm just like... It is what it is. They stay in character. Blah, blah, blah. Then we started hearing punk. And this dude was going for bodies. And everybody could get it. He did not care. He, I mean, this dude had a machine gun. And the bullets were flying. And he went after everybody. And first instinct for everyone uh, was to say... CM Punk is an ass. He is a jerk. He shouldn't have done that. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Well, for the better part of three years, Mr. Uh, Brooks was sitting at home minding his own business. And every so often, his phone would ring. And someone's like, come on. Come to AEW. You know, Shangri-La of wrestling. This is... This is this is what you've always wanted in your wrestling company. You know, he's like, well, I'm done with wrestling, you know. You, you know, he doesn't really want to be involved, but okay. Finally, after AEW has shown some success, he's like, hey, he he's he comes, he joins. You know, whether it's because he had didn't have money or not, that's neither here nor there. He came to AEW. That being said, when he gets to AEW, um, someone that he doesn't like happens to work there. You know, he apparently has nothing to do with the person. And uh, but somehow, somehow through and through his own thought process, somehow someone has decided to leak to the media, whether it was the elite or not. There's no evidence that it was the elite. That he was the reason Cole Cabana got fired. You know? And um, when I look at it from that point of view, and then of course the media is talking about and everyone's talking about him getting poor Cole Cabana fired. Now, poor Cole Cabana that everyone loves. I have no problem with Scott Colton. I, every time I've met him, he has been a pleasant individual. I want to throw that out there. Because the reason I want to throw that out there is because this dude's 
was the fifth member of a mid-card comedy act. If honestly, if he wasn't everybody's friend and everybody loved him, would you even had a second thought about this character being released? Stu Grayson got released. Alan Angels got released. You know, people in the Dark Order got released. But Scott, no, he his firing or him being released or moved to ROH is CM Punk's fault. Okay. CM Punk's like, I didn't do it. And then like me, I will tell anyone. If you say, I, will you say something I did and I said something I did and I did it, I get upset, but I pretty much will just be like, I did it, right? But when you try to accuse me of something I didn't do, <coughs> and I know I didn't do, that's when I get pissed off. So I feel CM Punk in this situation because he was at home minding his business, writing comics, hanging with his wife. You know, he'd do his uh, meet and greets at C2E2, loving life. He'd do a sell, sold out one with Pro Wrestling Tees. Whenever he needed money, he had no problem making it, right? And then he's like, come to Shangri-La. Come to this beautiful island resort of wrestlers where you get to write your own stories and work with these younger people and you can help build us up. And then when you get there, you it's, it's beautiful the first six months. And then someone throws you under the bus to the media. Now, is the someone that throws you under the bus your boss? Well, you seem to believe that because your bosses are friends with Cole Cabana and they got Cole Cabana's back. So you take it as they are the one that screwed you over. All of a sudden, this Shangri-La looks a lot more like a dystopian future because this is the same shit you deal with at the other company. Getting screwed over by the higher ups. So it had a bad taste in your mouth. And this is like feeling like, oh, this is familiar. So when you get a chance, uh, then a person that you're having a feud with, that you're going to help level up to a different level by being in a feud with them. Because not saying Hangman it was a nobody. He was very much one of the stars of the company. He, they had draw, drawn shows. He was a member of the elite. His uh, race, uh, his rise to the world title was probably the story of the first few years of AEW. Very important person. But again, doesn't have the kind of Q rating as CM Punk. So just being in a feud with him is going to level uh, Hangman up. So you're doing this. You're helping him get to the next level, and then in a promo, he goes off script and takes a shot at you, right? It doesn't matter if the world know he took a shot at you. You know he took take a shot at you. So again, people are going out in for their business. You feel like your boss has screwed you over. You're a little sick of it. Then you get injured, and you have to sit at home and watch everything go down. And you're stewing. You're stewing. You're not necessarily a person that is known for having the longest temper. So you get pissed. And then someone puts a mic in front of your face. Boom. And you explode. Now, am I forgiving everything CM Punk said or did? 
Was it professional? No, it wasn't. Was he said or did? But let me ask you. I mean, to his thought process, to him, was anything he said wrong, right? You know, I've heard it since that they have, or people are denying that the elite or anybody, uh, the elite actually leaked the uh, information about um, Cole Cabana, which apparently to CM Punk is horribly false. But you have to think about it from his point of view, or you don't, or whatever. But I'm saying, when I think about it from his point of view, I see why what happened happened. And once you get someone going about things that they're pissed about, it's kind of hard to stop them. I, I'm, I've, I've been jokingly calling uh, September 4th Festivus because, man, CM Punk aired his grievances. And he aired them to everybody. And he, he kind of went in on Col- uh, Scott Colton or uh, a Colt Cabana, which I even said this. I was like, I know you don't like to do, but you went in on him on an unnecessary level. But this is who CM Punk is. I, I've always liked CM Punk, but... You know, you talk about when there's smoke, there's fire. I've always heard the man's a dick. I heard if you're in his circle and he likes you, oh, my God, he will die for you. He will pay your bills. I think it was uh, Joey Mercury uh, we talked about. He he bought his house so Joey Mercury wouldn't lose his house. This man is the most loyal friend you can find. But when you're not his friend anymore and you become his enemy, he's the fiercest enemy you can have so all this situation that's how i saw it that's an alternate take i tried to look at it from cm punk's point of view but and as i'm going to wrap up my part of the comment before i pass it on to austin i fucking love this this is icky it is disgusting it is low down it is pro wrestling it is the pro wrestling i grew up on it was it is it is Triple H trying to date Stephanie while he's in a relationship with China. It is all it is Harley Race pulling a gun on Hulk Hogan because you know thought he wasn't gonna put him over or something like that. Man, it is Hogan not knowing if Andre's gonna do business on WrestleMania uh, three because he's supposed to get body slammed. It is all the disgusting shit I've heard for the forty years. Well, I'd say about 35 years of my life where we used to go mag- read, grab magazines and read it and go to regular internet sites just to find the juicy details of pro wrestling. This is good shit. Now, I will say this, and I will sound like an old man. I will sound cornet-ish when I say this, and I don't invoke that name on our podcast a lot because... I don't deserve. I don't think he deserves my breath most of the time, even though I did look up to him as a wrestling character. What I want to say is, if these motherfuckers don't say fuck your feelings and go out and get this money, it is going to drive me crazy. The main events that could sell out just based on these rumors. I have people I know that don't even follow wrestling asking what's going on with AEW and this is juicy it is a soap opera there is money to be made I threw some matches out there I mean man just say CM Punk and CM Punk and FTR versus the elite CM Punk versus Kenny Omega which was gonna sell out a stadium anyway CM Punk Hangman 2 CM Punk 
the Bucks. You know what I mean, it's CM Punk, FTR, and Wardlow against Hangman, you know, the Bucks, and Kenny Omega, blood and guts. Let's go. We can bleed all over this country, and I will be throwing fucking money at all of it. I would throw money at all of it. Dude, I, basically, you get this war started. AEW, just go ahead and let me set up a direct deposit so I can send 40% of my check to you because that's where it's going to go anyway. Might as well cut out the middleman. Let's get this. This is what AEW needs. They have been stagnant for months. Take this controversy. Take all this negative shit and flip it. Flip it and go make money. And that's all I have to say for now. Uh, I will hand it off to our I, punk I want to say expert, one thing CM, uh, oh. what's up I'm sorry I just want to, I want to say this one thing because I know we don't want to do rebuttals because we'll be here for eight hours but uh, to kind of just what you said Floyd this is something that was mentioned in Fightful Select um, about money and it was that there was a according to the Fightful Select that a top because this obviously went around the business a top WWE name told uh told Fightful Select that the parties involved don't put their issues aside and make money with what's, what's, what's happening. Uh, quote, none of them have bi- have any business talking about drawing houses or losing fans or interest. They basically put aside their differences and uh, capitalize off this. All right. And then, well, then I, I-, I pointed, I, was, I forgot to mention, they pointed to like uh, real life issues between like Matt Hardy and Edge as example. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, now here I am. And I know this is the one that people have probably been waiting on. So we'll just get the uh, we'll get the background, at least on this right now. I've made it no secret on this show that CM Punk is my favorite wrestler of all time. I've made it no secret that CM Punk, in a sense, is one of my idols. I've made it no secret that I was uh, became straight edge because of CM Punk. Those are all true. And I want to clarify as well, because I know on this show I've been obnoxious in my fandom and over the top and crazy. And I play that up a lot for this show um, with kayfabe in mind and enjoying like the banter between me and Floyd and my friends on this show because uh, it's a lot of fun. I like playing an over, top, over the top fandom version of myself when it comes to CM Punk and the people that I like. It's a lot of fun. Um, but I gotta say, like, I'm glad that Floyd's finding uh, joy in uh, the dirt and the uh, drama and everything like that. And hey, totally get it. I understand exactly where he's coming from. And um, for me personally, this entire situation to me is just gross in the gross way. It, it quite honestly just doesn't make me feel good as a fan. Um, now, everything that CM Punk said about Colt Cabana. And here's and I, got, I and I got no problems with Colt either. And I need to also point out the fact that too, like, if I can speak to the IWC, I know they won't listen to me. But it's if I can just speak, if they choose to listen to me or not, that's fine. We do not have to take sides on this matter. We do not know these people. We are not friends with these people. These people do not know us. The relationship that we have with these wrestlers amount to seeing them live at an arena, seeing them on your television screens. And occasionally seeing them at a convention or a meet and greet. That is where the relationship starts and ends. I don't feel like you have to have a side in this situation. Which is why in terms of the fallout of what's going to happen. I'm in the wait and see category. 
Nintendo hood is going to probably bother people. It's like, oh, the CM Punk fans being like, well, let's just show you what happens. But listen, I'm just in that camp right now. Oh, in regards to what Punk said about Colt Cabana, and we know this is an issue that has stewed almost a decade uh, worth of time. And this is a situation that stewed all the way back to, I remember when I went to All In back in 2018. And I was at StarCast 1. And I, I have a vivid memory of being in Schaumburg, in, in, in Schaumburg, just outside of Chicago, at StarCast. And one of the early events for day one was a karaoke night hosted by Marty Skrull. And there was a fan at that event who came up and wanted to sing Cult of Personality. And when he asked to sing that song, the news about CM Punk and Cole Cabana and their fallout because of the lawsuit from WWE came out and how Cole Cabana was suing Punk for, quote, leaving him high and dry with legal fees. And everyone took Cole Cabana's side. And I know that because people in the crowd, when that one fan asked to sing Cult of Personality with Marty Skrull, they booed that fan. They booed the shit out of that fan for wanting to sing Cult of Personality. So in that regard, you know, I'm not surprised that people took Colt's side in that regard. But now Punk has come out with his whole side of that whole situation a few few years after the fact because of the reported leaks that may have come at the hands of the Young Bucks and maybe Kenny Omega since they are all EVPs. Um, and... From everything that Punk says, from what took place with him and Colt, uh, yeah, it's a fucked up situation, and Punk kind of got screwed over by somebody that he thought was his friend. And with the whole idea of the story being leaked out and fuck and uh, trying to insinuate that Punk got Colt Cabana fired, that is also fucked up. So in a lot of instances in this situation, Punk is absolutely in the right in terms of all of that. Where the problem stems, for me, is not even the fact of what he said on the podcast, uh, on the on the scrum, because I've known this the longest thing about CM Punk, and I think a lot of people do know this, and it's one of the things that people either love or hate about this man, is that his mouth is his biggest weapon. And when this man is backed into a corner, he is a rabid dog. And in the sense of the fight that took place after the scrum, it was a three-on-one situation. And when this man was backed into a corner, his mouth was the biggest thing that he did and used. And he shot on every single person he could. And that man it has shown time and time again, if he is, has a problem with somebody, if he is angry with somebody, if you piss him off, he will not stay quiet about it for long. And the moment he goes off, because again, this all stemmed back from the feud leading up to Double or Nothing with what Hangman Adam Page said, which, again, in my eyes, wasn't even that big of an issue. I thought the things that Eddie Kingston and MJF said about CM Punk were significantly worse, but the thing that Hangman said was the one that he took offense to. Maybe I, The only reason I could see it is because it was a babyface versus babyface match, and it was like, what the fuck? Like, Why are we making this shit personal when there's no reason to make it like that? So that's the only way I can take of that. But this shit has brewed for months of leading to this moment at the ES scrum. I feel like there was probably ample opportunity to squash this and either one side or the other side or both sides didn't squash it when it needed to be squashed. So then when it got to this point where things were boiling, the pot kicked off 
when CM Punk wanted to go and rip everyone to pieces on that microphone. And then it got even worse when he got backstage and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega had problems with it and then fists started flying. Now, in terms of the aftermath of this whole situation, first of all, I don't think there's any, if, if the reports are true about A. Steel, who has only been in this company for, I want to say, probably a week and a half, he needs to be gone. It's just that simple. You've been with this company for not even over two weeks, and you have said an unsolicited F-bomb on television when this company has already apparently gotten requests to kind of tone down the language. And then you have reportedly thrown a chair and bit somebody. Your wife being in the vicinity does not make it any better because what the fuck would she think about this situation? Because I know, like, I've there's a lot of people It's like, you know what? Don't be an idiot in that regard. So I don't think it's a bad, I, bad situation to say that, like, suspended, let go, doesn't matter. Like, A-Steel, get out. It's that simple. And hell, I didn't even know who Ace Steel was up until last week. You can call me a fake fan for that if you want. I really don't care. But I didn't know he had any relation to CM Punk or whatnot. Truly didn't know. Just when, didn't when, fuck. When they were teaming together, you were like two. So exactly. So <laughs> I'm just saying. Ex- like, excuse, excuse <laughs> me. Excuse <laughs> me if I was unfamiliar with the situation. But I don't really care. And just because I like CM Punk doesn't mean I like all of his friends. Because, again, I don't know him as a person. I know him as a wrestler on my television screen. That is where the relationship starts and ends. In terms of the fallout for everybody else, we saw everything get situated with Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara's backstage beef. Eddie got suspended for two weeks. And there's probably going to be fallout here. If you think any of these four are getting fired, I think you're living in a pipe dream. And that's just how I feel. But is could some of them be suspended? I absolutely believe that. But regardless, this should have never gotten to this point. And there's obviously a problem with communication in regards to AEW. And also, Tony Khan has lost complete control, I feel like, in terms of his locker room. There's been way too many stories that have been coming out about this type of shit. And ironically, it feels like when Cody left, all of a sudden, there was just nobody that was kind of like that locker room leader, that person that people could go to or whatnot. And now that we have all these uh, people who, yes, CM Punk has an ego. Absolutely. You cannot deny that. Everybody in wrestling in, in some form or another has an ego. Tony Khan is trying to placate these people and honestly is not familiar with running this type of backstage problems. And you could tell that by the amount of faces he was making when CM Punk was going on and on and on and nobody stopped him. Did I think he should have been out there that long? No, I don't even think Punk should have been on media. The fact that they willingly put a microphone in front of him when we knew how pissed off when they knew how pissed off he was was a mistake in itself. We should have never gotten to this situation. This should have been stuff that should have been handled and kept backstage and settled and just not got to this point. And it's disappointing that it got to this point. I feel like everybody in a sense is in the wrong in some way or another and I'm just like, you know, I'm just sitting here being like, "Come on, kumbaya. Come on. Make money out of this shit." Absolutely. We, you got so many chances to make all this stuff and put it into storyline and get some real fuel going for it. Absolutely. But it also should have never happened in that way. I shouldn't have to hear about Nick Jackson getting knocked out by a chair. I shouldn't have to hear about biting. I shouldn't have to hear about CM Punk 
saying EVPs can't run a target in this company and that he's hurt and tired and old and works with fucking children. I love CM Punk, but I know when you piss this man off, he's not a happy person to be around, regardless if you're cool with him or not. And look, if 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 people are thinking like, oh, are you going to stop liking CM Punk because of this? No, it's just not. It's just not going to happen because, again, he's still my favorite wrestler. And also we had questions of if CM Punk was released or fired or if he left AEW, would I stop watching? To which I say, that is a stupid question. I'm sorry if I'm being rude in that regard, but that's a stupid question. I followed AEW during before All In. I was watching Being the Lead on YouTube. I was watching the Young Bucks and the Elite when they were in Bullet Club. I was watching them when they were in Ring of Honor and their New Japan matches. I've been fan, a fan of Kenny Omega since like well before AEW was a thing. Um, I was at All In before AEW was a thing. And... Hell, even in the Young Bucks book, they talked about trying to get CM Punk, and they said they didn't need him. And you know what? For those first few years, they really didn't need him. They just got him when they were on on hot fire, and it helped them do great numbers. Because at the end of the day, CM Punk is a big money draw. And yes, even if it may have pissed off people, he was absolutely a huge reason as to why Double or Nothing was their first million-dollar gate. And now they've done three million-dollar gates back-to-back-to-back. And... CM Punk, in a sense, had a little bit to do with all of them, even though people were buying Forbidden Door even before they knew CM Punk was wrestling on that show. Like, it's that straight up. But regardless, um, I will not stop watching AEW if Punk is gone. I will not stop doing this show. AEW is still my favorite wrestling company. There is still, right now, genuine problems that need to be sorted with this locker room, with the communication, with settling problems going on. I don't think anybody can disagree with that because this is getting to the point where like, this can't be like a Bush league thing. Y'all got to get this sorted out. I'm sorry. And quite honestly, I think that's all I got to say. Cause it's just, that's, I wanted to get it all out. Cause I, we don't want to talk any more up and down about this. It's just a gross situation in my opinion. And we just want to talk about the wrestling. That's all we want to do. All this shit, like, you know, if it's not presented on our TV screens, we don't really want to talk about it. Or at least I don't want to talk about it. But it's been too much to not talk about. So if anybody, closing thoughts, if for anybody, just wrap it up in like less than five minutes if you want. Go ahead. Uh, I'll I'll put a quick, yeah, I'll put a quick bow on it. um, Because just there's a few things. One, um, everything we're getting right now was fragmented. So um, I know everybody... You're going to have your team CM Punk fans, you're going to have your team Elite fans just because fans, that's just how people are. But everything you're getting is fragmented. So there's going to be a lot more that's going to come out in the next week or two um, where the backstage, the powers that be, are literally going to figure out who who bears responsibility and how much of that responsibility. And rightly so, because at the end of the day, you don't, you know, we're hearing the story about he said this. Okay, who confronted who? Who threw a first punch? Like, literally, they are going to dissect everything and figure out their course of action. That takes time. <laughs> so there's going to be more information that's going to come out, uh, for you know, and that's going to be for better or for worse. Uh, so just, I know people jump to conclusions. Honestly, I've jumped, I've said a piece where I may be wrong, and, you know, that's my fault for saying something. 
that maybe I shouldn't have. I just blame everybody because I think everybody plays a part on it, both sides and Tony Khan. The last thing I was going to say, though, is that based on reports right now, it doesn't look like any of those involved will be at Dynamite in Buffalo as we're recording late Tuesday, early Wednesday for for you on the East Coast. Um, and so, like, we're probably not going to get answers by tomorrow. Like, this is definitely something that's going to carry on into, like, a week. Like, And then the, the thing is, and I know this, if you weren't around for the Montreal Screwjob, this is our Montreal screw job, like, and with social media. So this thing is as big as it's going, like, is going to continue to just keep building until once we hear what the, like, the actual end result from AEW is, and then you're going to hear more from fans, and then eventually it'll die out after that. But this is going to linger for, for a while. Well, my final thought is I look to help put a bow on the situation is, I want to reiterate what Austin said. Uh, You don't need to really take a side in this situation. I mean, for me, I don't know the backstage information about what's happening or whatever. Um, As far as the question, I was very clear. I started watching AEW before I even knew there was a chance CM Punk would join. Before I even knew Tony Khan wanted CM Punk to join. So... Yeah, I'm going to keep watching. And I just want to throw out this. My team, my favorite wrestlers, my actual favorite wrestlers, hold three different belts and are the most pushed tag team in this company. So, I'm good. I mean, I like CM Punk. Don't get me wrong. He's not my favorite wrestler. Never has been. Probably never will be. Well, he actually, hold on. There was this two-year period that I can honestly say he was probably my favorite wrestler. But... That was a long time ago. That was over 10 years ago. It was probably back when he was still friends with uh, Scott Colton. So, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. It's like, and I, you know, even people have assumed that FTR is going to be on Punk's side. I don't know what side they're on. I don't talk to them about that kind of crap. When I actually do get the few seconds to talk to them, I don't talk to them about that kind of crap because it's not for me to know, you know? This is fun. I like hearing it. I like the rumors. I like speculating. What if this is a work? What if it's not a work? Man, I live for this shit. I've I've had a whole full day smorgasbord of news today, and I love it. But when you if you ask me straight up, whose side are you on? I'm on wrestling side. I'm always on wrestling side. I just want good wrestling. Better wrestling to me is better when it's soap opera. It's us. It's fifty percent soap opera. 50% athletic performance, right? I want stories I can sink my teeth in and then dope-ass matches. That's what I want. Generally, when people actually have real-life beat, that makes for great stories and dope-ass matches. So let's go. And that's all. That's my final piece on it. Okay. And if you want to, like, I'll say, too, because I know specifically I've been the one that's getting the most comment. If if for some reason I miss something that you want me to go further deeper into, DM me on Twitter. Just at Austin Sumowitz. Just DM me if you're curious, because I'm, I'm more than willing to, like, go deeper into the explanation if you if I didn't touch on something for some reason. But I feel like we've touched on everything. But, yeah. I'm not going to stop being a fan of punk. It's just not not going to happen. And... Even though, like I, I, I very well know I'm, I'm a fan of a dick, probably. So, it is what it is. 
Regardless, let's talk about wrestling, please. We're going to get into All Out, but we'll start off with Zero Hour uh, to get things going. Uh, first off was a AAA World Mixed Tag Team Championship match between Ty Mello and Sammy Guevara versus Ortiz and Ruby Soho. We opened up with uh, them talking backstage with Tony Schiavone, and they were in the middle of sticking each other's tongues down each other's uh, tonsils until we heard honking, and we see Ruby Soho and Ortiz on a golf cart, and Ruby giving the most psychotic face I've ever seen in my life, and I loved it. And, of course, Sammy Guevara continuing the uh, the trend of, you're driving something? Hit me with that fucking thing. And that's exactly what happened. So these guys are all fighting the shit out of each other and beating each other up. We got into the ring, and stuff started going down. Uh, there was a moment where Sammy Guevara launched Ty into the air, Ty landed on Ortiz and then proceeded to hit Ortiz with a Canadian destroyer, which was fucking crazy. Um, eventually, however, uh, Ruby Soho was about ready uh, to uh, uh, do something, but then Anna Jay pulls Ruby Soho off the apron. But this time, Anna Jay was thrown into the steel ring steps by Ruby. However, after Ty was superplex, after Ty superplexed Ruby off of the turnbuckles onto Ortiz, Sammy. Uh, onto Ortiz and Sammy on the floor. Anna Jay got in, grabbed Ruby's legs, and that was when Mello hit the tie KO on Ruby Soho and got the win. They retained the championships. Yeah, you kind of knew that was going to be the outcome. Uh, decent opening, I feel like, um, despite the fact that, you know, you know me personally, I wish Ruby Soho was doing a little bit more. But hey, I mean, at least she's on zero hour. That's all I can say. Um, and then Ortiz, I'm glad that they're still trying to keep him involved while they still wait for Santana to get healed up from his injury, though. But I thought this was fine enough. Oh, JR, yeah. we'll go to you first. Yes. Oh, never mind. Floyd, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, it was a very exciting match. Uh, very great way, with the, especially with the, the golf cart of starting the show and getting the crowd like into it. I just thought about it in that different way there were some nasty bumps in it uh in the match uh a good old uh ruby took a spot on the head i hope she's okay uh but yeah it was just a really like fun match and a great way to get started jr um i'm gonna say this now because that way i don't say it again for as we continue through all out uh, the all out coverage um having 15 matches on a what would end up being a five-hour show is just way too much and it's just it brings me back memories of uh mania marathon in new york where it's just like dude like we could cut some of this out this was a match like and i'm sorry not everybody has to be on the show i just don't feel that everybody needs to be on the show and you know you have people for three nights in chicago for all out week you could spread some of those matches over it and some like and I'll give you an example later, one that you could that could have been to help build up a dynamite or rampage. But I just didn't feel it was necessary and and I, you know, Sammy, I I was on Sammy's bowling team at full gear last year. I talked to him, he's fucking awesome. But dude has from what I've seen online from, you know, reactions in the crowd and what I've seen with you know, people talking, the dude has go away heat with him and Tay. Like, I think the dude needs to go away every package as just being Sammy Guevara and Tay do her own thing because it just ain't working. 
I'm like that's just in my opinion. It was cool though. He got his ass hit by a golf cart. Dude takes fucking bumps like crazy, but he bumps like hell. I, I mean, ain't ain't no better bumper in AEW. I think than Sammy Guevara. Yeah, I I don't think necessarily they have go away heat. I do think this is the like for them being healed. This is the best instances of them doing heel shit. Um, I just think though. The the problem with them is that most of their heel stuff has stemmed from like stuff that has been found on social media and backstage with the Eddie the Eddie uh, Kingston stuff, and then of course everything that led to their relationship and the drama that led before when they that was confirmed and everyone being like wait but what about who Sammy was with before and then that whole thing that's the problem with that was that like people had issues genuine issues with what happened uh, with everything with them so that's why. The heat feels a little bit more exceptional, I guess, with those two. But yes, I do agree. The show was extremely long. Um, I could feel a little bit of uh, the crowd struggling so hard because they had moments where they were really gassed, really going. And then it took them like maybe a match or two to really start recharging. You could definitely see that. I do want to throw this out there. And I had this idea. AEW, especially on the long shows, their pay-per-views, it needs to sign an endorsement advertising deal with an energy drink. And about halfway through the show, that that Ed energy drink, whether it's Bang, Red Bull, or whatever, should run around giving people in the crowd energy drinks <laughs> and to get them wings. Because Red Bull gives I mean- you wings to get you through that second half of the show. I'm just telling you, it's a perfect... It's a perfect marriage of two things because, like, really, three, two and a half hours in, all I could go for right there was a monster to help me finish out. I, I've been doing this a long time, so I'm able to find that second win really quick. But, yeah, I saw some eyes rolling up in the back of their head. I saw people just flat out staring at their phone because they were just done. And it's like, dude, energy drinks. Go get that. Hey, honestly, it's not a bad <laughs> idea. I mean, because I mean, Rockstar used to sponsor uh, Strike Force MMA, uh, UFC, and Bellator. I believe are both sponsored by Monsters. C4 is sponsoring WWE now. It's not a bad idea, but I think the other thing too, and this is the last part I was gonna say was, well, one, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm go back to what you said, Austin. Like well, all this stems from online, which is, hey, that's his personal. Per- I'm sorry, that's his personal business, and that's on him. It just it has spilled over though, so I think by them embracing it may not have been the best thing. But hey, I'm not the one that's looking AW. But I think the part of that though is what I felt watching the pay per view, and I'm trying to like on you know at home, and I'm trying to think back when I was at Double or Nothing because Double or Nothing I felt was the exact same way was too many matches. Is that nothing breathed? I feel like we're going match match match. Like there was like nothing. Like in between, and even in a situation like you know, whether it was that you know WWE or or even MMA, even when you have quick knockouts, there's always something that kind of goes like that to breathe in between. Sometimes it could be a video package, it could be um, even if it's not has nothing to do with the pay per view, it could be a video package for the next match. Just something to get the crowd like a breather to get back into the next match. Because, I mean, unless I'm wrong, you know, obviously Floyd, you were there. Austin, you saw it too. 
but did it feel like there were literally like it was match after match after match there was nothing oh in between it was, it, was, it was so great <laughs> i actually wasn't too was gassed with that show honestly i mean which one uh double or nothing no i'm saying but with, i'm saying with I'm not saying gas in that sense, but between double, but with both of them, did it feel? And I'm still talking about all out. Like it was match after match. Like there was nothing in between. I do think AEW needs to do more video packages. I think they 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 miss a huge opportunity to like give their editing team a real chance to shine because I feel like we see so many great things with the way that they present stuff with like their Road Two series on YouTube. I feel like the editing team really shines in those regards. And I don't think we get enough of that like before matches because it at least gives you a moment to kind of recollect yourself and be like getting into the feeling of like, okay, this is the story that we're getting. Um, More video packages would be something that I would absolutely say for pay-per-views because I think they're a great way of like just contextualizing stories and just giving the fans a chance to be like, all right, here we go. Here comes this thing now. Well, I'll just say this. When you're in the building, and you're watching the show, and I like I said, I do know there's some people that get tired, and you know people that are as old as Jr. and they need uh, to go to bed or whatever. <laughs> me, I'm like, dude, keep it coming, dude. You don't understand. I watch the product, so video packages might make it better for the more casual person, but for me, it's like. I remember having to sit through five minute video packages, basically recapping everything I've watched for like the last month. And I just want to stab myself. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I find it refreshing that they it's just going and going and there's no like buffer or like, it's just go after, uh, go out there and tear it up. And yeah, this to me, this started a really good zero hour. All right. Well then we'll move now to the, the, uh, FTW championship match between Cool Hand, Angela Parker with Daddy Magic, Matt Menard on ringside with Hook and at fucking uh, the front row of the show, we had the big man himself, motherfucking Action Bronson at the goddamn show. About time. Like, I'm so happy we got to see Action Bronson. I fucking love Hook's theme song. Like, The Chairman's Intent is such a dope song for a walkout song, for a theme song, for an entrance music. Outstanding. Um, The match itself was just Hook beat the shit out of uh, Angela Parker until uh, Angela Parker tapped out. That's when Matt Menard jumped Hook afterwards. And then Action Bronson jumps in the ring and proceeds to just start throwing these fuckers. Like, I loved how action bronson got involved i thought it was great uh just a really cool uh use um and um yeah i thought it was awesome i loved seeing action bronson that was a super cool moment uh match itself you know it was hook beating the shit out of somebody in not a lot of time and like you know you can't really comment too much about the technicality of the match but hook is great i hook is literally one of those guys that's just like you know you can't find too many flaws with him i feel like JR, we go to you first. Um, I when I see Hook, I'm just so impressed, and I made this joke, and people get mad. I'm like, there is a person that's sitting up in Connecticut, being God damn it, why can't uh, Dominic be Hook? Because <laughs> I swear, I was like, if I was, I would, I would trade 
I would trade Ray Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio, Corey Graves for Taz and Hook. Like, I would trade the farm. I would trade four first-round picks. I would trade everything for them. Because Hook is I would just cut Corey Graves. I wouldn't even trade him, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, he's such a natural... He's such a natural athlete. Like, he... He gets it. He gets the movements. He gets, you know, he, even he, even though he does the stuff that's like, you know, the same stuff, but just his movements that you can see and how he moves around, it's, he's just, it's in him. He gets it, and he has a great look. And, um, you know, I think with what they've been doing with him, I mean, how, how long has this been going on now? Like, I, 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 I lose track of time because, Every year in the last three years feels like a dog year. But has it been close to a year? Uh, since Hook has been, like, just on his own, uh, I think yeah, it's been like since... State. I think it's been since Team Taz just kind of, like, spread it out and stuff like that. So I think Hook's first singles match was, like, late December, I think, maybe. So I'll, you know, I'll get a confirmation uh, on that real quick. This December 8, 2021 is what I have it. Okay. Um. So, but, but close to, like, 10 months. So... Like he just they slowly bring them along, and you know this is the right way because you know people you get to see him, you get to see what he does. He's nothing significant. He's nothing major. He's not getting rushed. I mean, it's you know there's a lot of things that I can criticize AEW for, and because then Floyd hears it all the time. But this they're doing this right, and I love them. And I, as much as I fucking hate the Jericho Appreciation Society, I love. Cool and cool hand Angelo Parker and, and Daddy Magic. They're the most just hilarious. Everything they do, I think, is perfect. They have a great look. This I enjoyed this a lot. And and I agree with you with Action Bronson. Uh, you know, him, the song is amazing. So um just keep doing this over and over as much times, you know, in an, for another year, because people love to see him, and then eventually that boy's gonna be ready to take over. Match was match. I don't really have anything to add to what Jr. said. Match was what it was. Hook is super, super over. I do want to throw out there from the All Out Fan Fest: a hundred dollars to meet Hook is too much. That's why they, <laughs> they, they only sold. I think they only sold four. I'm not even joking. Like, yeah, he was out there. He took like four pictures and then he left, and there was no one else there. That's just too much, dude. Like, come on, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to add. I think I'm just gonna be honest. I think all of them should go down at least twenty five dollars. Yeah, no, they have absolutely upped the prices like big time. Yeah, they didn't. You know, I mean, you know, we don't have to go to them, but I'm just saying. I imagine you want people at them. I'm just gonna throw that out there. And if you want people out there, you should probably price them a little bit more reasonable. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. We then had the All-Atlantic Championship match between the Bastard Pack and the returning Kip Sabian in his first match back since uh, his um, his return and attacking of Pack uh, with him finally getting the box off his head. Um, and this was a good little match. Uh, there was um, a lot more of an th- instance of Kip using that box as a as a character moment for him, there was a specific moment where he proceeded to uh, uh, dodge the black arrow and then hit a DDT. And then he proceeded to go over to the box that was on the timekeeper's table being like, tell me what to do. Um, however, Pac proceeded to uh, hit 
the Black Arrow on Kip and uh, get the win and beat uh, Kip Sabian, who was then looking at the box and screaming and just being like, this is your fault. And then we had Pac get interviewed by Tony Schiavone immediately after match and then interrupted by freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. And Pac is like, no, no. We've been here before. You're a joke. You know how that ended. You are not a wrestler. You are a joke. Get in the back of the line. And Orange Cassidy just looks at him and then Pac walks away. So the match was solid. Um, I don't necessarily know how far you can go with this, Kip. I like I like Kip Sabian. I like how he's been able to kind of keep himself at least around while he recovered from his injury and while they built his inevitable return. I don't know how far you go with the box thing. I really don't. I just don't know. Um, maybe if there was an instance where it was like he had this weird fixation on the box and then Penelope Ford had to get involved or something like that, that I think would be interesting. But at least what be, what is being presented with it right now it's it's weird, but I just don't hmm, I just don't know exactly how well this is gonna work. But I'm willing to see it out though, because I think Kip Sabian has a lot of potential. Yeah, for me, um it was decent. I I was with it in you know, up and then up until he, you know, took took it off and yet I just think he looks he has a such a he always looked great. I mean he's he looks like he was out of came out of Abercrombie and Fitch catalog. He has such, you know, he's such, uh, you know, has a great look to him. But he taking the box off and having that black beard with that platinum hair, I think looks even more amazing. Looks, you know, looks. I don't know if the correct word is like he's aged, but he looks aged though. He looks like he grew up like it, it, you know, a decade by just having it. And he looks like he's ready to be somebody and hold a, t- a title. But doing the whole, it's just kind of to me reminiscent of Al Snow. I want to take him serious. He should be taken serious now. And having the box, I think, is, is not a good idea. I think they should bring back Penelope with him because I thought they worked well together. Give her, uh, you know, a um, a, a new look. That would be similar to what Kip has. I think that's part of professional wrestling is just adapting. You know, you find something, adapt, change, transform. Um, you know, some of the the greats in the history of professional wrestling, you do that. And because it's important to keep your character, you know, from being stale. And I think this changes character to not be stale. But I, I don't like the, the, I think they just get rid of that. It's a little bit too, you know you know, too corny or cheesy or something. Can't find the right word. And I can't. Well, I love it. I've loved the box thing since he first started and not knowing where it's going. Uh, this man got over. And I'm, when I say that, when he came into the ring after not wrestling for however long he wrestled and literally his girl being the most over one in that group, he came out there to a roar of the crowd and everybody there was people in the audience that had the boxes on their head trying to dress like Kip. I'm just saying you want to talk about someone that took an injury and then came back to be way more successful than he was. It's him. So with that, I'm going to give him time to show me what the character is. I feel like he's earned that from how over he was in the match. 
I think he needed to look better in the match. I think Pac need to give him a little bit more because you have to show improvement. And AEW is a company where you can get over in a loss. All you have to do is, you know, sometimes be close. And I just don't, I felt like it was just Pac just won. And I, and it's like, you could have given a little more to make him look better. So I am of the opinion that, yeah, uh, you could have gave him a little bit more. And, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. I thought it, it, it was a successful return. And, of course, I hope we get Kip and Penelope some more. But fun match, fun character. You need, you need stuff like this on your show. You need stuff like this a little lighter, a little less serious. Yeah. Um, and I, I agree. I do think he has done well to get himself over with his look uh, while recovering. And I do think, yeah, it gives it gives a little bit more leeway. Like, we'll see where this goes. But next, we have the final match on Zero Hour and the best match on Zero Hour, Tomohiro Ishii versus Mad King Eddie Kingston. Chop, 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 chop. Somebody get ice for these two and like permanently like just have them wear ice underneath their shirts at this point. Because Jesus fucking Christ. They just wouldn't stop chopping each other. It was absolutely insane. My sister Sydney and my dad actually went to go see this in one of our local theaters that was actually playing it. When my dad saw this match, he could not stop laughing at the fucking amount of chops. Um, these guys killed each other. They beat the living hell out of each other. Eddie Kingston got the win and showed the respect to Tomohiro Ishii. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was an absolutely outstanding, just beat the shit out of each other match. And these two just did crazy good work. I couldn't believe just how much they were just laying into each other. And it was just absolutely wild. Uh, yeah, I still think it's the best match on Zero Hour. Um, and just, Christ almighty, they were killing each other. JR, we go to you. Um, I'm trying to, as I'm going through the match, the match listing, you know, as my memory recollection, because I'm a savage and I love big, as the term goes, big, big, mini men slap me. This may have been my favorite match on the card. Uh, probably my my second favorite match of the whole weekend of this crazy wrestling weekend. Um, and if you look at Tomohiro Ishii, you know Eddie Kingston was slapping them. They actually both were not slapping each other like straight in the middle of their chest. They were hitting the, the as it was coming through. Eddie Kingston's hand was almost like, you know, basically his his fingertips could kind of touch Tomohiro Ishii's arm. And if you look by the end of that, like if you look in that vicinity, how beat red, because you could see like on you know Eddie Kingston, you know yeah. he's lighter skin. Ishii looked like but, Cody for a minute. Oh, it looked like red, purple, blue, at least three different colors of a rainbow because it was dark and it was fucking nasty. They, um, for those of you, if you if you didn't watch. I will tell you to watch one match that's not AEW related this weekend. Watch Sheamus versus Gunther that came out on Saturday. And these his name is Walter. 
Yes, I, I, he's always be watching my heart. I'm trying to wrap my head around Gunther, and it's not really working. But he's <laughs> always be watching my heart. Anyways, it's like those guys saw that match, fucking tremendous, and they went, "We're going to do everything we can to one up you because we're going to kill each other in, our, in that ring by slapping the shit out of each other as hard and as many times as possible." Um, it was, it was brutal, and I love every minute of it. This is, you know, this. I don't know. I, it's not somebody called it strong style or king art style or something like that. Um, I'm not very familiar with my, uh, you know, I for international wrestling, I, I look to other people who are better experts. I'm trying to think of the actual term that I saw online, but whatever it was, this was I, this is are what you, my type of wrestling you're is. Thinking about King's Road style. Yes, that's what they said. That was what they said. Someone said strong style versus King Road style. That's what they said in this match. Well, this was everything I thought it was going to be. This was my match of the weekend, match of the night. And literally for the first five, maybe ten minutes of the match, all they did was chop. And you would have th thought from the reaction of the crowd being in the building, they were uh, throwing Hurricanranas and uh, Canadian Destroyers. These dudes literally own the crowd with a chop fest. And Eddie Kingston, I will say this, is the best 10-minute match guy in wrestling. And it might go up to 15, but you get what I mean. If you need a short, impactful match, put the person in there with Eddie Kingston and let them beat them shit out of each other for 10 to 15 minutes. I'm like, all my, like, like my most memorable matches, I'm like, Kingston versus Miro, Kingston versus Punk. Where they just go in there and they just beat the shit out of each other. And that's what this match was. Ishii, dude, just love watching him wrestle. Love watching this man work. He, he, is, he is one of one. You can be like, well, this wrestler is like this. They're, Ishii is like Ishii. That's it. There's no other comparison. Same, same thing with Eddie Kingston. You can't even compare them to each other even though they work a similar style because they're such unique individuals. This match was everything I wanted to. to be, I imagine Big E sitting at home in Tampa just shaking in his body because this is the wrestling he was talking about. Big meaty men bumping meat. I loved it. Now we move to the Five main stars. show. We forgot to say that. Five stars. Damn straight. I don't. I don't think a match has to be thirty minutes. If you do a perfect match, you deserve five stars. This match was perfect in the amount of time that it took. All right, we go to the main show now with the casino ladder match opening things off between Claudio Castagnoli, the Ring of Honor World Champion, the Ring of Honor Pure Champion Wheeler Yuta, the F the Lucha Bros Penta El Zero Miedo and Ray Phoenix, Frush and Andrade Alito and Dante Martin and who would be the Joker. Now, I have a quarry with this um, because this was uh, not how the previous casino ladder matches were done, if I'm not mistaken. They didn't do it like a Royal Rumble match tr turned into a ladder match, right? That wasn't how these previous ones were done, correct? This is the first time they've done it where two men started and then everyone else came out after time came, ran down, correct? Am I wrong? No, I, be I, I believe this is exactly how it goes down because this is how Brian Cage debuted at all, at Double or Nothing 2020. He was so they have done this. They have done this before. I are I you sure? Say, are you sure? Because I thought I okay. thought that they just had and now the Joker and then all six of them started going. 
So I I distinctly remember this. Brian Cage, the match was already going, and he came out as the Joker once the match had already started. So I okay. I will go that far. The Joker came way after the match started. Okay, regardless regardless of the fact, regardless of the fact, though, I understand that. I don't I don't like the whole fucking countdown thing for a ladder match because it just gives no you you know no one's winning the winning the goddamn ladder match until everybody gets out in the ring. If they made it a rule where like you couldn't go after the chip until everybody got in the ring, then it's fine. Like if then that's like you like you wait for the chip to be lowered once the Joker comes in and then the chip gets lowered, um, then that's fine. Otherwise, I don't like that rule. I get it's to hide the Joker for as long as possible. I don't like that rule. Well, technically, this time, the person won before they got in the ring. I understand that, but still. <laughs> yeah. I understand that, but still. That's just what but I want to say. I, just don't, I don't like it. To what you said, uh, you know, Austin, they did try to address that on commentary where somebody, I don't remember who they said, maybe it was, uh, I don't think it was Ross. I think it was because he was not there. I think it was Shivani. Why doesn't the two guys in the ring just one of them grabs a chip? And I think Tash tried to cover up. It's like, well, you gotta, you know, beat beat your opponent, and it's gonna be very difficult to try to leave in this early in the match to try to, you know, subdue him to go get the chip. I agree with you. It's it's very sim. What you just said is very similar to war games. You know, two men start, but the match does not technically start until all men are in the ring. Exactly. That's so. I I agree. I think that's a, a great idea because it. Does you can just have of- the chip be lowered down once the Joker comes in. That's just that's just that's just how I feel, at least. Regardless of the fact, Tony Khan, take notes, Listen please, and also yes, please. But regardless, uh, the match itself was a lot of fun. Crazy amounts of spots too, like fucking Andra- uh, Claudio proceeding to lift two ladders that were being had that had Andrade on top of it, and they were connected to each other, and he was just lifting it from the bottom with all that weight on it. Was fucking crazy. Dante Martin was a madman with the shit that he was doing. Um, there was even a point where, like, a, somebody came in. I think it was fucking Andrade. I think it was uh, Roosh or something. But as somebody was coming in, just the goddamn ladder fell, and they had to adjust on the fly because the ladder fell as one of the new entrants got in the ring, which was scary as hell. However, um, after the huge moments, which was Penta hitting a Canadian destroyer on a ladder on Andrade, which was fucking crazy, and then a frog splash onto Roosh from Phoenix through a table, everything hit those high spots, and then we had a bunch of men dressed in black jump in the ring, to which my immediate response was, oh dear God, it's retribution. No, get this off my screen. Uh, however... Climbing up onto the ladder was an unmasked Stokely Hathaway. And then everyone around the ring who had the masks on was the Gun Brothers, Will uh, uh, W. Morrissey, Lee Moriarty, and Ethan Page. So Stokely Hathaway and his crew had been busy. And then as the Joker came out after Stokely already had the chip, Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones started playing. And another masked man came out. And he had like a devil mask, almost like if you guys have played Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4, literally what those characters looked like, the villains in in Spider-Man 4 and Spider-Man on PS4. I'm just saying straight up what they look like. Stokely Hathaway uh, hands the chip to the Joker and Justin Roberts is confused as fuck. Being like, here's your winner, the Joker. And 
he starts to go, oh, I'm going to take off the mask. And he goes to go it. And he's like, no, 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 no. And we would find out later in the show who is the masked man, which I guess we'll just say it right now. We, there's no need to wait on it because we already said about Punk winning no, the no, title. Just, no, no, no. Wait, okay. wait, what are you doing? Go ahead. Go ahead, man. Look, go ahead. Um, you gotta wait. <laughs> Fine, if you want to make them wait, goddamn. I don't. I'm trying to make sure we get to bed on time. Goddamn it. Um, so, uh, this match. First of all, I swear to God, I swear to everything I love dearly. T- Tony Khan pays Dante Martin to go out there and bump and dive, kid. That dude is insane. I think did you did we or did you we lose you, Jr. For a split uh, second, I believe we did. Yeah. Yep. 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 He's he's chopping out every little bit. Super super interesting. Super interesting. See, oh. that's what you get for calling me out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I I understand your point, Jr. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Great. Great yes. point. Well, I am smarter jump. than you. I am going to go ahead and jump in here while he's having technical difficulties. Um, oh. Yeah, this was brilliant. Um, it, this was brilliant. I it, it didn't even have to turn out to be who it ended up turning out to be, and I thought this was brilliant. Because the reason I, I say that is because you get formulaic in some of the ways you do things on wrestling, and it's like everybody was expecting, you know, the car crash show and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, everybody had their thoughts, but nobody, everybody had their thoughts on who it would be, but nobody had it going down like this. And I just thought the way it went down was brilliantly done, uh, perfectly just like executed and the excitement. And unfortunately for me, I'm si- I watched too closely. Ethan Page's mask kind of came off. So, before they even took their mask off, I was like, oh, it's the seven that Stokely has been uh, recruiting or whatever. Because, yeah, I saw his mask come off, and I was like, oh. And uh, William Morrissey's seven foot tall. I, I just throw that throw that out there. Who the hell else was it going to be? He's seven foot tall. It's like two people could have been. It could have been him and Hikaleu. That's it. So, um, yeah, I just thought this was brilliantly done. Uh, I heard some people online didn't like it this much, but I was like, I was like bowing to the, uh, I was bowing at the altar of Tony for this match. All right. And uh, we'll keep going until we get JR back in the can fold. Can you hear me? Yes. Now we can, can hear, hear you. you. Go ahead. We, we okay, lost I'm you sorry. for a moment. Yeah. Uh, what I was trying to say was, is that uh, Dante Martin is a natural born luchador. That dude could be making a lot of money in Mexico wrestling, no hijo de Viking down there because he's just he's insane it was i enjoyed the match the whole spot floyd was just had i heard everything floyd said mentioned um i think a lot of people may have not liked it because it was in my opinion it was not a aew type spot it's very much a new york type spot but in the end it all made sense on how it worked out and was done and i think it was done purposely to be the very first match of the night so people can potentially forget every, all of it until everything that happened as the show went off the air. All right. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to put it. Yeah, for sure. 
We then go to the AEW World Trios Championship Finals between the Elite, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, and Hangman and Page and the Dark Order. And yeah, they stole the show. And they were absolutely trying to do so. As Kenny Omega said when he got in front of the camera after the match was over, being like, you boys in the back, try following that bitch. Um, which people have seen as a prelude into what would happen after the show. But again, not talking about that anymore. Uh, these guys absolutely went fucking crazy. False finishes galore. Tons of great tag team work. Oh, and Alex Reynolds got a huge chant. Love that. Shout out Alex Reynolds getting that spot. John Silver, again, insane. The things that this little dude can do. It's outstanding, the work he does. Reuniting the feud between Hangman and Kenny Omega was amazing. Created a huge moment. The Young Bucks still trying to do a little bit of like uh, work on that, too. And also the great story work of Hangman trying to still do right by the Young Bucks by not having the Dark Order like target Matt Jackson's back, to which they respond, fuck you, dude. We're trying to win a championship. You guys have all won championships, and we haven't. Completely reasonable way to think, honestly. And I think Hangman was being a little stupid in that regard, being like, no, don't hurt his back. We're trying to win. Uh, and regardless of the fact, it all started going crazy, um, and eventually the match ended up losing uh, when... They proceeded to go for Buck. Hangman goes for Buckshot Lariat on Kenny. He dodges it, and on inadvertently, John Silver gets knocked out. Kenny Omega then rolls into Pin Silver as Matt Jackson is grabbing Hangman as he's trying to get through to stop the pinfall. Can't make it in time. The Elite are your first AEW World Trios champions, and Hangman is distraught because he caused this. After saying so much that he wanted to do right by the Dark Order, and give them their moment in the sun. He was the thing that cost the Dark Order their moment. Outstanding character work, outstanding moment to close out that match. Great storytelling. Action was nonstop. I don't think it's, I don't think it's hard to say that this was match of the night. I really don't think so. Um, granted, I, I do definitely lean more forward towards the Chop Fest just because they fucking were insane. Um... I, I think it's fair to say either this or, or Ishii and Kingston was their match of the night. These guys did unreal levels of work, and I love this match. It was insane. Uh, well, I am uh, I am more of a strong style, you know, British strong style type wrestling fan, but I do appreciate, you know, matches like this. Um while I'm not a big elite fan, I appreciate what they bring to the table. And I wanted the Dark Order to win. I've been a huge John Silver fan because, one, I think he's hilarious. But, two, I genuinely think he is a great wrestler. This And it, the tag team move that he does, and I mentioned before, I, it was I first time I saw it was him and Reynolds versus Cody and Cardona on Dynamite. And, it, you know, it's like, it's like a, a punch. I, I can't remember, but it ends up with Silver hitting a suplex. And just the way it's it's done is just, it's so fluid. And it's I, I really enjoy their work together. And I understand, though, why the Elite won. I think it establishes that trio's title, that trio's title being new. Um, you know, unfortunately, not, you know, not all the titles, I think, 
are given enough time. But I think with the elite being the champions, it's going to establish this championship, which it needs to be done. And eventually circle back to maybe the Dark Order, not with Hangman Page, maybe with somebody else like Preston, get a shot and, and become, you know, the, the trio's champion. Um, but I get it. It makes sense. It sh- they need to get established and the elite are the right to establish it. And, you know, it's it's great for the Young Bucks and Kenny because, you know, people forget, you know, especially with Kenny, he's been a veteran for over 20 years. Like he just came out as being a star really like in the last, you know, since, uh, since I think 2016. But I think, you know, the really since like the towards the end of like when he did his thing with Okada where he finally became the megastar that he is. It was like towards it's like the last quarter of his career. Like he's on the downside. He he can't keep being the best bout machine, you know, because he talks about it before all the injuries that he's had, you know, that he, you know, contemplating even just not coming back. So I think it's great for him. It's going to, I think, prolong his career longer. And, and, um, same with the Bucks. They do crazy shit too. So it takes a little bit of off them. I think it's a win for everybody. This match was, uh, um, like literally like why I became a fan of Kenny Omega. That's, I mean, that's the best way to describe this match. It's why, why I think he is, even though I am not like the biggest Kenny Omega fan, I can be like, okay, he's the best wrestler in the world. The young bucks are one of the best tag teams. One of the best tag teams in the world. I mean, I, I love, I love all of this. Uh, this was crazy. I, in a night where I could say, I think the theme was, uh, people that some, you know, people that the crowd wanted to win didn't win. This was like another match of this because the crowd wanted the dark order. I mean, they were very happy with the elite, but they wanted the dark order halfway through that match. And it was like when, when the three happened, you just heard it, you know, you know, you had the elite fans go off. Don't get me wrong. But then you had that exasperated feeling for some of the people there, like, oh, God, it happened to the uh, Dark Order again. Because in my mind, I thought the Dark Order was going to win. Because if you remember, the, they've done this match similarly before. And the last time the Dark Order, you know, lost, I figure, hey, this is them getting, they're going to get their get back in this one. And it was just like, it's not the story they decided to tell today. Hey. I can understand it. Uh, it worked. Uh, it automatically makes the belts mean something because whoever beats whoever beats the elite ha- will have beaten a team. So uh, this hit on every level. This was a perfect tone for this match. Yeah. We then go to the TBS championship match between Jade Cargill and the fallen goddess Athena. <clears throat> I said my piece. I said what I wanted in this match. I didn't get it. I disagree with it wholeheartedly. I think Athena should be your your TBS champion right now. I love Jade. I think she's great. But you need babyface champions right now for your women's division. You need new stars. And I do not want Athena to get the Ruby Soho treatment. My hope is that that doesn't happen to Athena, even though she lost this match. The match was fine, but I'm still salty about the outcome. I said what I said. Athena should be TBS champion. She becomes an instant star. She's the first person to beat Jade Cargill. 
that's just my thoughts. I really don't want to talk about it more because, quite honestly, it's still one of those things I'm just like, you fucked up, in my opinion. Go into JR. Um, you know, this is one. There was two matches that didn't. Well, actually, three matches technically, but there was really two matches that didn't get at least twelve minutes, and this was one of them. This went about four and a half. Uh, Jay looked incredible. I mean, every outfit she she had put she you know for these events just looks amazing. I and her both of their entrances were amazing. For me, it's just something was kind of off, and it just felt like it was kind of like a quick, abrupt. I don't know what it was. I, I agree with you. I think Athena was the person to win because I always felt that they were going like I didn't feel anybody in the company was going to be the one to dethrone Jade. I felt it was somebody who wasn't there yet was going to be the one to dethrone Jade. And when Athena showed up in AEW, I thought this is the one, like, this, you know, they're going to have her defeat Jade. She's going to be the TBS champion. It's going to establish her in the company. Now that that hasn't happened, I kind of wonder, you know, at 37-0, what is the next step for Jade? Like, are we building to 50 and all or we which i i just personally don't think a winning streak is a good idea it's just good because eventually you know i think people turn against you it's like that saying from the dark knight either you die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain and in this case i know jade's a villain but it's not in a good way a villain that that would tend to um and is this somebody else that they earmark? Is it Tony? Well, I mean, it's not Tony Storm because she, you know, we'll get to that later. But I mean, I just, I have no idea. It's, it's just, I'm very, just, I would say, not, isn't that the right word? But I'm concerned about where they're heading with her. Thought this match was everything it needed to be. Uh, as soon as I saw the She Hulk gear from uh, Jay Gargill, I was like, she's not losing. I mean, it was that simple to me. I saw that she she can't lose this to She-Hulk, which I thought was a perfect touch. She-Hulk's really hot right now. Uh, Jay gets her audience. She gets her brand. I will tell anybody that, and I will scream in, in their faces if they're willing to listen. Uh, she gets wrestling. She does. I mean, is she the greatest wrestler ever? No, but she seems to just get it. She just gets wrestling. So I just thought this was... Uh, I thought everything about this was cool, uh, but like I said, on a night where it seemed like their whole idea was like, "Hey, no one you think, no one you want to win is going to win." This was just another <laughs> example of that. It's just, and I thought it was, I, I, you know, in a lot of ways, I can still say, I, you know, it was the right move, but yeah, it was uh, crowd. It was not as crowd pleasing, but Jay Cargill, when she comes out, is a star. She's the person. You want uh, representing your brand when someone turns on the TV for the first time on AEW and they see Jay Cargill and they look at her and they say, champion. That's what they say because look at her. And yeah, so that's my thought on the process. Uh, a really good match. Athena got a good match out of her. I think they should run it. I do think they should run it back on Dynamite. Give them about 10 to 15 minutes. Okay, moving now to a six-man tag match between the TNT champion Wardlow and the three belt-holding world tag team champions of ROH, the IWGP, and AAA. 
FTR facing off against Jay Lethal. And my boys, Alex Shelley and Chris Sabian. The Motor City Machine Guns. We got some, they are finally here. Uh, before uh, y'all say, we got some healthy Detroit sucks chants. And all I could think about was my boy Austin. It made me laugh. Yeah, it's fine. Tell me when the Blackhawks actually do something in hockey. Yeah. It's not like shitty culture, disgusting dog shit. That, yeah, that right? organization is filled with. Tell me when that team does something. Yeah, I like that Austin. I like when that Austin comes out that just came out. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Well, listen, <laughs> Motor City Machine Guns debut in AEW was amazing. I love seeing these guys here. It's outstanding. You know, it seemed, it's a long time coming, you know? Like, I swore these guys would be doing stuff in AEW well before, like, now. Like, I swore we'd see, we would have saw them, like, early on when they wanted to start doing cool stuff with their tag division. But you know what? It took a while, but we finally got them. They did outstanding. Uh, Dax uh, wonderfully had uh, her daughter uh, walk them out to the ring, uh, which is amazing. And as the match was going on, just tons of great maneuvers, uh, tons of great tag stuff. Um, it Wardlow got to do his powerbomb sif- symphony as well. He nearly killed Jay Lethal with a lariat. Like, oh my god. Like, Lethal got killed. He got fucking killed. I liked how, like, they kind of saved Wardlow for, like, that one moment, for those moments where the big man could come and just start swinging on people because he was the the difference maker in the match, for sure. Powerbomb Symphony on Jay Lethal. There you go. They, however, uh, Motor City Machine Guns joined Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt to surround the ring. And as they were about to get in, Samoa Joe's music hits, and he comes down the ring, uh, shaven as well, somehow gets busted open in the process. No idea how that happened, but regardless, comes down, and uh, he knocks down Satnam Singh, like just completely goes at this dude's chest and knocks him down. Um, and then uh, as Samoa Joe's in there also, Dax's daughter then runs out to the ring, gets in front of Sanjay Dutt, who was wearing uh, a great heel moment too, Fight like an eight-year-old fight. Fight like a uh, eight-year-old brat was his shirt that he was wearing, which was such a heel move, so great. And then Dax's daughter gets in the ring. He she takes Sanjay's pencil, breaks it, and then that is when Dax knocks down Sanjay Dutt. And then Dax's daughter puts his her foot on Sanjay Dutt's chest. A referee gets in the ring, counts. Beautiful, just an outstandingly cute and wholesome moment to close out the show. If we need, if we ever needed people to be like, lighten up a dark moment in AEW history, it would be FTR. Absolutely. You want to talk about Moxley being the heart and soul of AEW? I would point to FTR being your heart and soul. That would be me. And I know Floyd would probably agree with me, but we'll get to JR first with his thoughts on this trios match. For being a throwaway match, it was good. I, I'm just disappointed. I honestly have to say it was, just, it was disappointing to see FTR and Wardlow in the situation. I mean, that TNT title has been nothing since Monroe had it last year. I mean, it's been they've done a terrible job booking the TNT title. Wardlow should be eating people up through you know as as a champion everywhere just until he finally goes up against a monster. Um, FTR, the hottest tag team, you put them in the six, man. I just, 
it was cool. I was happy for Dax because of the moment he had with his daughter. I mean, it was it was. I thought it was cute, it was adorable. Um, I, people online were saying, "I hope she breaks the pencil," and she broke the pencil. And people, some people online were happy. I thought it was cool. It's just, I was just disappointed. I, I just wish more. I wish more for 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 FTR and Ward Lois for being what they for being who they are and what they've accomplished. This to me just wasn't the right move. Obviously, I think Motor City Machine Guns helped save it, but there's a lot more to that needs to come out of this uh, to make sense. Cause this just, if this is like it, this is terrible. This has to be the prelude to something bigger. Well, it was a match that happened. Was it the match I wanted? Nope. But I think I, I think it's leading to eventually getting the match. I wanted. I, I thought this was fun. Dax talks about the emotions, the everything about wrestling. I mean, that's what this match was. It was to pull on every heartstring that you had. The eight-year-old girl that uh, had a hole in her heart, and then you know, and you know, came back from it and fought through it. This is what the match was about. It, it, it was beautiful. I did not get teary-eyed, but it was it was really cool when she came out. I just thought that was just kind of a awesome moment. Uh, you know, you know, you got to make the most of the moments you have. I gotta say, very happy that the, that they were on AEW pay per view. You know, been to all of them. Don't get to see a lot of them in there. They weren't. They came out and double or nothing to celebrate with Punk. Uh, from what I understand, if I remember, they weren't even on Revolution. So the fact that they were on a pay per view, I'm gonna take as a win. But yeah, absolutely. Great day, great day. I'm hoping this leads to, of course. FTR versus Motor City Machine Guns. Maybe it happens at uh, maybe it happens at Grand Slam. That was just that was a guess I threw out at another time. Maybe it happens, you know, at Final Battle because it looks like you know uh, Tony's been doing all the ROH pay per views, and that would be the one that's left. And maybe it happens at Final Battle, but wherever it happens, I want to be there for it. It's that simple. All right. We then had the match between Absolute Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, which, uh, unfortunately for Ricky, was the big man slapping meat and beating the shit out of Ricky Starks. He kind of got a little bit of offense, but it did not last very long. Hobbs was able to get the definitive win in about like like less than four minutes. Um, I don't know, man. I can't add much to it. I love how this match got a, had a... Uh, video package to build to it and all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, uh, Ricky was just not enough in that regard. And, you know, I, I definitely think they're going to continue this storyline um, and just wanted to have the fight for Ricky to finally beat Hobbs be an uphill battled one. Um, yeah, it just, I don't know. I, I, I can't say too much about it, honestly. It was, it was a quick match that just was Ricky, for the most part, getting the shit kicked out of it. Um. Yeah, th this was the second match on the card that you know that didn't last, that wasn't given. Uh, that happened below twelve. Uh, this was it ended in five minutes and five seconds. It was very weird, in my opinion. I felt it was very weird the ending. It kind of was like an abrupt ending. I don't know, you know, it just. I don't want to say it was a squash, but it was almost essentially a squash. And um, 
see, I guess, what the future holds. That's what you just said, Austin, makes a lot of sense. And, um, and going to what Floyd said, the theme of people, uh, talent that people wanted to win and didn't win, because I think a lot of people wanted Ricky Starks or, or maybe expected Ricky Starks to win on this one. Yeah, um, this was perfect because if Ricky just wins tonight, I would uh, I would have had to ask to ask what's next for uh well for Hobbs. You just turned on your friend and lost the first match. It, it, I mean, there's not a lot to go from there. So I think it was perfect. I think this is what needed to happen. I think Nikki uh, Ricky really needed to uh, go ahead and uh, lose this one. So uh, that's what happened. Um, but yeah, and he left, and it was so definitive. It does give babyface Ricky uh, Starks something to really strive for when it uh, when it happens time. It's like they're they've built this big obstacle for him to climb because you know he didn't just lose; he kind of got dominated. You know, he just yeah he got his ass kicked. So yeah, now he has something to actually overcome, and how's he gonna overcome it? I'm really looking forward to it going for for it. This match was exactly what it needed to be, in my opinion. All right. We then had the AW World Tag Team Championship match between Swerve and Our Glory and the acclaimed with Daddy S uh, joining them. This match was outstandingly good, but the crowd they won they wanted their boys to win, and when they didn't win, ooh, Chicago was Chicago, and they refused the fuck out of what came afterwards. First off, the crowd was outstanding with their chants and their support of, of the acclaimed. Um, when they started the uh, Oh, Bastion is Glory chant uh, for Keith Lee, that was when uh, Oh, Scissor Me Daddy started chanting. And it's the fucking weirdest chants I've ever heard, but so funny and so great. Um, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland became heels that night. And they were getting booed the hell and back. Never thought I'd see Keith Lee get booed. Swerve? Sure. Absolutely, I'd see that. But Keith Lee? No, I didn't think I would see that. They did such great work on these false finishes. People were going bananas during this match. But unfortunately, when the acclaimed ended up not winning because of Swerve and our glory, managing to uh, get their tag team finish uh, on and win. They crowd just rejected the hell out of it. And then when everyone got in the ring and when the claimed offered, uh, when, when Billy Gunn comes up and I believe it was Keith Lee or Swerve, one of the two who offered a scissor motion to them crowd refused that. He did it. The crowd was like, fuck all that respect bullshit. We want the acclaimed as the tag team champions. Fuck you. That Chicago crowd rejected the fuck out of that. And match was it was really freaking good. But man, that Chicago crowd just wanted the acclaimed and they didn't care what it took. They wanted the acclaimed and they were not going to deal with anything else. Um which I don't know if that took away from it or not. I don't know if it t- left a bad taste of the match in your mouth. But regardless, all four of those men did outstanding work. Like, it was just really freaking good. But we'll go to JR first. Um, I'll say uh, the first thing is I never wanted 
Swerve and Keith Lee to be champions. I am not a fan of makeshift teams. It's very New York S and it bugs the shit out of me, especially because I think we're going to get into a situation because there was some tension in this match between Swerve and Keith Lee. Keith Lee was the one who ended up scissoring uh, Billy Gunn. So it's almost like they're teasing this tension. Um, and then if you watch, uh, for those of you who actually stayed around and, and heard you know, talent talk about the actual match in the press conference, if you heard Keith Lee and, and uh, Swerve talk about the match, uh, it was had been alluded to a potential rematch at Grand Slam Dynamite between the Acclaim and and Swerve in our glory, and um, it just it just kind of feels like they're heading towards a situation where they're going to lose, and one of them is going to turn on the other, and it's fucking hated because you're using the tag team titles to basically push a singles two single stars into a feud. I can't stand that shit. Um, especially with how stacked the AEW tag team division is. The one thing I will say, because you heard a lot of it, is they should have called an audible. They should have called an audible. They should have called an audible. I would 100% disagree with that because in the moment, to, in the heat of the moment to call an audible, that could potentially, that will, not potentially, will effectively change the course of your storyline I think is a bad idea because you say, okay, go and do the change. And then what comes next? It's one of those things where maybe a claim are destined to be the tag team champions at Grand Slam Dynamite. Maybe they're not, but that's one of the things where you don't make that decision in the heat of the moment. And then the next day you go, Hey, let's examine this because something, you know, obviously there's something there. Should they be the champions? Um, if we don't have them booked as a champion or again, let the story play out. So, I don't agree with that. I just think that's a very, you know, that's a um, a rash decision in the heat of rash decision. I can't even say it. Someone say it for me. Anybody? A rash decision, sir. Rash Thank you so much. Decision in the heat of the moment, um, and I just don't agree with that. So I do agree that the claim potentially should, you know, win the titles because how over they are. Obviously, your crowd isn't wrong, but. Not at that moment. Well, I agree with you, but this match was booked to perfection, as in everything lined up the way it should, and I thought that that was amazing. Um, uh, shout out to all of them. I mean, Keith Lee and Swerve, you know, wrestling is a cooperative sport, not a competitive sport in that case. They did what they could to make uh, the claim look as great as they have ever looked. And the crowd was hot. It felt like I was, it, well, I won't say it felt like I was UK crowd, but as far as the uh, sing-along part, it, it, it gave me the, that UK crowd feeling, you know, and it was just like they were singing along and it was great. And I didn't really like that it was going against Keith Lee and, uh, Swerve because I like them, but it, it, I I was it was a it was a it was a hoot to uh, steal a world a line from my boy Hunt or not. It was a hoot and it made me holla. It was a great day. It was a great day. Great show. Great match. Probably if it wasn't for Easty and Kingston, this would have clearly been my match tonight. Okay, 
We then moved on to the four-way match for the AEW Interim Women's World Championship between Tony Storm, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, Jamie Hayter, and Akara Shida. This was another match where uh, Chicago was like, okay, well, we didn't get our guy that we wanted last time. But Jamie Hayter, Jamie Hayter, we want Jamie Hayter. It doesn't matter who else gets picked. Jamie Hayter has to win this match. They didn't get so toxic in terms of the ending of this match when Jamie Hayter did not, unfortunately, win the match, um, though she did a great amount of work, uh, I will say. Um, Sheeta, God, I love Sheeta. She ended up getting taken out of the match after being beat up uh, earlier on. Uh, and when she came back, she proceeded to come back with two kendo sticks and then was just like going boom, 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 hitting people with kendo sticks. So fucking good. I thought it was great. It was after Britt Baker curb stomped her on the ramp. Um, regardless of the fact, um, there was a great moment of Jamie Hayter had a great was getting a lot of offense on Hikaru Shida, and um, uh, there was uh, moments where that was happening. And then Doctor she she hit the ripcord lariat on Shida, had the pinfall, but Doctor Britt Baker pulls the referee out, stopping the three count. And she, and Jamie Hader is beside herself watching what happens. Tony Storm then hits zero Storm zero. Britt Baker tries to steal it. That doesn't end up working. Working as Britt Baker gets DDT'd, then DDT onto Jamie Hader. And Tony Storm is the new AEW interim women's world champion. You now have another babyface women's champion. I give you that. I said you could do that there if you wanted to. I just. Um, I hope Tony Storm continues to grow and like she did great here. The the work with Britt and Jamie was outstanding. Sets up a spot for possibly Jamie Hader to to now turn babyface, which I think would be great because it seems like there's already a bunch of fans who are behind her. So there's that. Um, I thought this was a good match. I thought the work of uh, uh, sending Sheeta to the back so she comes back with the kendo sticks was amazing. The stuff with Jamie and Britt was great. Uh, Tony did great work. I thought everyone got a lot of good stuff to do in this match. Um, and yeah, you got a new AEW interim women's champion and Tony storm is now another big, uh, baby face women's champion, which this company definitely needed. Um, and I think she can do great things and I'm excited to see what Jamie does. I mean, what uh, Tony storm does with that title. And I'm excited to see if Jamie ends up turning on Britt Baker and we get a baby face turn for uh, Jamie hater. Cause it seems like the fans are already heavily behind Jamie. So, We'll go to JR. Yeah, I enjoyed this match. I think each uh, each woman had a chance to shine in their own way. I think, you know, Jamie has continuously um, developed into a, um, a talent that people want to see get over. I, you know, I think the goal was still to get the belt on Tony Storm. I had an idea of where Hater would win the interim and then get a um then end up beating thunder would be kind of a baby face people would love it and then Bear baker would turn on her and that would be like her first main feud i think there would be a lot of a lot of good money to be drawn on that but obviously a lot of people like tony storm and you know she is a big name that you know that came to the came to aw this year so i get it um she seemed a little testy in the in her conference like you know it was a little weird, uh, you know, being a fan favorite, but she was like, you know, hey, Thunder can get it when she decided to come back and, and I'll become the unified champion. So uh, this should be um, a good match. It, it's one of those things, though, again, 
I would say similar to Hangman and Punk back in, you know, double or nothing, a babyface versus a babyface is, you know, a classic wrestling fan. I like my babyface versus heels. Uh, yeah, and to a point, I definitely agree with you on that. But in this particular case, uh, in this match, I thought the answer was Brett. I thought that was I thought that was the seriously the easiest you know thing to do is just go with Brett. But they decided to go with uh, Tony, who was their original idea. And you know, you can't ever go wrong with going with your original idea. You know, it's 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 smart to a point. So I'm very excited about what's going on in Tony Storm. This is how I became a Tony Storm fan. She was the champion of progress, and I saw her wrestling different people every week, putting on bangers. So if they could somehow bottle that same energy of that run in progress, I think they can make Tony a big star because she's a superb worker. She just, you know, you have to give her that long form to uh, tell her story. Uh, so I'm looking forward to see what they have going there. Uh, Britt and Jamie should be fun again. Like I said, I thought Britt was the answer, but but the thing in the press room was great because the way she said it, she said if Thunder Rosa steals, when Thunder Rosa decides she's not hurt anymore, she can come back and get beat up. What? Oh my God! I'm like, so if you say someone's faking an injury without saying someone's faking an injury. That's basically what that was. It was like, I love this. I love, I love, I, you know, I'm messy. I'm messy. And it was messy. It was very messy. It was a very messy quote. And I loved it so much. Come on, man. Come on, man. This is, it's disgusting. I love it. I love wrestling. Sir, please seek help. Huh? <laughs> well, seek help, he said. Why would you say that, man? I, hey, hey. Hey, Real Housewives of Everything is one of the most popular shows every week. I am not the only messy person in this world. You, that Unfortunately, is very he is correct. Is very <laughs> we'll move now to Jungle Boy and Christian Cage. Uh, this match uh, did barely got it even going because as Jungle Boy was making his entrance, Luchasaurus comes out the opposite tunnel and just proceeds to turn on Jungle Boy again. And he slams Jungle Boy on a pyrograde. Which that's just hot. Like so like his back was just like completely it, it looked pretty fucked up. And then Jungle Boy got carried all the way over to the timekeeper's table, got sl- joke slammed in front of his mom and sister onto a table. Christian Cage then proceeds to ring the force the bell to get ring. Christian Spears Jungle Boy, kill switch, pins Jungle Boy, shortest match on the show, and um I saw a couple reports that the reason why the match was so short was because that Christian Cage was dealing with a possible injury. I don't know necessarily the uh, truth to all of that. Some other people who are smarter or more involved with the the rumor reports or whatnot can get involved on that if they would like to. I don't know. All I know is that uh, Christian and Jungle Boy has been a wonderful feud. Um, I'm fine watching it go continue. continue. The... I would hope the flip-floppy nature of Luchasaurus is explained because it is a bit weird. I would like to know exactly why he keeps flip-flopping. But regardless, big moment for sure. And Christian healing it up like he does, blowing a kiss over towards his mom and sister as he hits the kill switch was just a nice touch. I just got to say, 
weekend. Uh, oh, and also he got slapped at one point, which was also a little cool moment too. But we'll go to Jr. I have one question for you for for you, Austin or Floyd, because I may have missed it. Did Luchasaurus when he went back inside it with Jungle Boy? Did he ever physically touch Christian? Before, yeah, he put he put he put Christian on his shoulders. No, I mean, like, did he, before he joined Jungle Boy, like, let me phrase it, after he went back to Jungle Boy until, until All Out, he never physically touched Christian like he was going to, like, hurt him. Uh, Floyd, you might have to answer that. As far as I remember, and I have not, if someone else asked me this question, and I didn't go back and watch the tape, all I think he did was stop Christian for leaving. He only, I don't think he ever actually attacked Christian. And so th- the reason I asked that because there was a working. I remember even reading this before all out. Well, he never touched Christian. What if he's not really a Christian? Why is he still wearing his like dark dino, you know, Luchasaurus outfit? Why is he back to wearing the green? And I just that stuck with me when I when this whole thing happened because for me I was like Christian's the ultimate mastermind. He like he had this thing all planned out. He lured you know he lured Jungle Boy into a trap, you know, and and I mean, you talked about the heat. If he landed on that grate, it was a thud, and the thuds are always worse than the no- than the loudest noise because the loudest noise typically has some sort of give to it. But when it's a thud like that, that is solid, and it has to hurt immensely when you hit that thud. And you saw the grill marks in Jungle Boy's back. I I'm not a big fan of Luchasaurus. Not a big fan of Jungle Boy. You know, I'm not drastic spread, but I thought this to me was perfection. I loved every second of it. I thought from the minute Christian Cage went down and Jungle Boy's mom slapped the taste out of his mouth, I thought she laid it in uh, to him blowing the kiss, to him getting, you know, blowing the kiss out of him, paying the kill switch, getting on uh, Luchasaurus' shoulders at the end of it. I thought it was brilliant. And I think part of this, it continues that storyline where now. Well, Jungle Boy has to get to Luchasaurus now before he can get to Christian. You just added, like, this can continue to full gear now. You just added three months of storyline to this. Yeah, I thought it was perfect. Outworked everyone. Christian Cage, he's always better when uh, he has a heater uh, as far as his heel character. He had Tyson Tomko for a long time. Think he might have had tests for a little time in WWE. I'm not quite sure. I don't remember that very well. But having Luchasaurus as his heater works well, and I think Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, which is going to get lost, are going to put on an amazing match when they had it. Again, even more so, we are sell, uh, seeing the evolution from Lucha Boy to Jack Perry. Even when they announced him, they called him. The, uh, they called him a Jungle Jack Perry, which I thought was so awesome. And I was like, remember when everybody was pissed at Jim Ross for uh, calling him Jungle Boy Jack Perry? Suck it. Suck it from Oklahoma, okay? <laughs> this is coming from Oklahoma. Suck it. Legend. All right. Don't mess with well, the legend. <laughs> All right. We then had the American Dragon Brian Danielson versus Lionheart Chris Jericho. Uh, and this match was a very uh, technical aspect of these two just like putting a bunch of holds on each other and just interchanging from that. 
Daniel Garcia was watching from backstage, um, and he talked about previously uh, on Dynamite how he knows Chris Jericho can beat Brian Danielson, and he doesn't have to use underhanded tactics to do it because he's not only the best sports entertainer in the world, he's also the best pro wrestler in the world. Um, these guys did a lot of good work, honestly. Uh, it was a just really good wrestling match that they did a lot of great work together. Uh, Cat mutilation was put on Chris Jericho at one point, despite he got to the ropes, though, and then Danielson was kicking the fuck out of his head. However, the uh, referee uh, ended up getting distracted at one point, and then that's when Chris Jericho hit a low blow on, on Danielson. Judas Effect, one, two, three... And they cut to Daniel Garcia, who was just vividly upset about the entire thing, the fact that that happened. Um, and we ended up sawing a promo backstage about why he was upset uh, on the show. And that was when Brian Danielson, I mean, when uh, Garcia was told, you know what? I was going to support you in your match against uh, Yuta for the Pure Championship, but now you're going to go into it alone. You're not getting the support of the JAS, pretty much. Have fun was more or less the way that Jericho said when he was called out for cheating. Um, it was a good, really good match, honestly. A good little uh, match before we got to uh, the one, our next one, which would be the semi-main event. Danielson and, and Jericho, just really good workers, know how to work with each other. Got lost, lost in the shuffle in, in terms of like the craziness of the, mat, of the matches that were uh, taking place as well. Despite the fact, though, this was probably the most technically sound match on the card. Just these guys worked really, really well together. JR, over to you. Yeah, they got um a slightly they got the the most time on the card by a minute. You know, they went for about close to twenty four minutes. You know, I hate giving Chris Jericho pace because I can't stand him, but he they did a hell of great technical work. He knows how to give you a good match when he needs to. And um, I don't want to. The only thing I'll add because I want to spotlight there was one. Uh, one move. I'm a big fan of leg locks, and I believe it was an inverted Indian death lock that that da- uh, Brian Danielson implemented. I just thought, and I was like, "That's badass!" Like Brian Danielson is just a, a tremendous wrestler, and um, this the storyline between the Blackpool Combat Club and the JAS, and you know, Danny Garcia is, you know, it's it's very interesting, and I would love to, and how it works out this Wednesday um, is going to be big for must-see TV for a lot of fans. I'm going to say this. This was a terrible spot for this match. Terrible spot. I'm like, you've had people sitting there for three hours and you're going to have a technical wrestling match? Loved the two guys. I thought the match was really good, but everybody around me looked like they were ready to shoot themselves. It was just a terrible place for this match. I honestly think it should have went on first and then had the ladder match. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty. But it was just, it was just. If you knew they were going to have this type of match where you're going to be sitting and holds a lot, it's not a match you want to save to the end of the night, especially at an AEW pay per view. Uh, the match was perfect. I mean, was it perfectly executed? Yes, but it was just like it wasn't a you know there was a, wasn't enough crowd interaction to keep it going and keep uh, people's blood flowing. It was kind of like a stop, and it's just so bad because it's Chris Jericho, it's Brian Danielson. Everybody should be on their feet, being you know honoring these two. But yeah, because of the match they worked and what 
where it was in the ring. I mean, where it was in the uh, card, it just didn't really work. But I am glad Jericho won. The big celebration. I love that he cheated. It was, that was all good because, you know, in, in essence, conceding that Brian Danielson is the best technical wrestler in the world. But I did love getting to see the top lion tamer. I was very happy. Absolutely. Yeah, like the real lion tamer with the knee and the neck. It was great stuff. All right. We then went to the semi-main event, uh, the House of Black, Brody King, Buddy Matthews, and Malachi Black against Darby Allen, Sting, and the Redeemer, Miro. And uh, Miro was a nice little like wild card in this match with Darby and Sting. Uh, basically, Darby wanted to tag in at one point. Miro wanted to keep beating up on Buddy at one point. Despite the fact Darby eventually finally was able to get into the match, in which case he got ragdolled. Like, just got completely thrown around. Um, also, should have also mentioned this first, Julia Hart's like outfit and her hat combination that she had for the entrance for the House of Black was outstanding. Like, just beautiful work. I thought it was a great look, great imagery. Loved it so, so much. Um we then got to the point where, sorry, the cat just opened my door. Uh, we then got to the point where uh, after Darby was able to finally make the tag with Miro, uh, referee was distracted because of Julia Hart, so he kept getting beat up. And then Sting and Malachi Black were then all of a sudden locking eyes at one point. They got into the ring and started slugging each other like repeatedly. Scorpion Deathlock on Malachi Black. Brody King and Buddy Matthews uh, were able to free him, though. And then eventually Darby gets in and Miro goes after Buddy Matthews outside of the ring. Darby Allen proceeds to just throw himself at Buddy. Ma Buddy and uh, as uh, the referee was checking on Darby, Malachi Black is going to hit uh, the uh, his spinning heel kick onto uh, Sting. But he spits the mist into the eyes of Malachi. And Darby Allen then proceeds to hit the Last Supper uh, pinfall roll-up that he does. And then he gets the pinfall win on Malachi Black. And then this wasn't seen on the show, but this was proven. Like, uh, I know Floyd can attest to this. Uh, Malachi Black blew, blew a kiss to the fans uh, as he was leaving the show uh, uh, when the cameras were off. Uh, and uh, it seems that uh, Malachi Black will be taking a leap of absence, uh, reportedly because of uh, for mental reasons, which... Take all the time you need, Black. Malachi, we've enjoyed you in AEW. You've been a wonderful addition. Uh, come back when you're ready, if that's the case. Uh, JR, over to you. Um, I think there was a few things I would have added. Everybody was in face paint except one man. I would have been like, Mira, put on the paint, man. Just put it on. I, I thought it was great that Sting busts out the myth. Called up his good old friend, the Great Buddha, and, and wanted to know the the tricks of the trade with the mist, and nailed it down. I kind of thought going into this, we in this match, um, that we may potentially see somebody debut at to be the manager of Miro, which is his lovely wife, C.J. Perry, formerly known as Lana, and in the previous company she worked at. Um, to kind of counteract Julia Hart. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, that's a lot different than, you know, where you face paint because that's a one-time deal, you know, bringing a manager in. But I, I just keep hearing that kind of talk about bringing in, you know, Will Merrill bringing CJ to be his manager. Um, 
that's you know everybody has it would have an opinion on that but it was fun it's enjoyable and i made the joke at the end i was like man you know it's not that now i think about it, it's not that uh not that difficult to believe that a 63 year old sting can kick a man's ass half his age i was like because my grandfathers they can kick a lot of people's asses at 63 because there were some heavy hitters in my grandfather's were so i can believe it now they reminded me of that of uh, Michael Caine and Robert Duvall in that film with Haley Joel Osment, you know, tough, tough old men. So I, I enjoyed it, and I think it was um, it went as much time as it needed to set us up for the main event. That moment when Sting threw the lifeless body of uh, Buddy Murphy uh, over what's his name, Buddy Matthews? Okay, threw him over. And uh, basically telling Malachi Black, I want a piece of you. That was the coolest moment of the night. Like, movie moment of the night. It was just like, dude, you know what? I don't know if I can take you, but we about to find out. And it was just such a good moment. Darby's throwing his body everywhere. Miro doesn't want them to be in the tag team. He wants to fight everything. There were so many stories being told. This was excellently done. Shout out to Malachi Black. Uh, if, you know, get your shit taken care of. Get back to the House of Black. I am going to look forward to Brody King and Buddy Matthews doing their thing while you're gone. But I know, you know, I think I, I've always been very high on Malachi Black. And I want that Malachi Black versus Miro match. And I hopefully we get it sooner than later. All right, we then get to the main event, the AW World Championship match between John Moxley and Public Enemy Number One CM Punk. Uh, this was a great match. It was. Um, they did a great little quick, like near fall scare where Moxley was hit with a roundhouse kick uh, with the injured foot by CM Punk, uh, and then quickly got him up for the GTS. We thought it was going to be turnabout fair play, but it was a great near fall. Uh, they fought out to the crowd. It's great work. Punk got thrown into the steel ring post and got busted open. Moxley proceeded to just go right at the cut and just rub, just fucking grind into that shit. And it was just beating the hell out of Punk for a while. Um, at one point, Punk spat at John Moxley and flipped him off. Uh, they uh, were beating the hell out of each other repeatedly. It was a really good match. It genuinely was. Uh, eventually, though, uh, Moxley was able to put the bulldog choke on him. He was able to get Moxley up on his shoulders, put up the GTS, uh, and then hit a second GTS and uh, win the match, retaining, re reclaiming the uh, AEW World Championship. However, the lights come out, and then we hear a voicemail, and it's Tony Khan, and making a, a plea to somebody to show up at All Out. He's like, I, you don't have to sign an extension. I just want you. You need to be here. This is my final offer. You're not going to find anything better than this. Please. The screen then statics and then it cuts to the Ring of Honor. You stupid old man. I'm a snake promo where he says the greatest thing the devil ever did was make you people think he didn't exist. And then on the screen, the man in the mask, the Joker, says, I am the devil himself, takes off the mask throws a scarf around his shoulders and it's MJF who is back and he gets a mega ovation from the Chicago crowd 
looks at CM Punk up the rampway, motions for the world championship around his waist, and then proceeds to just flip the double birds to the Chicago fans. And the devil himself is back. And he wants that AEW world championship that CM Punk has. And we will hear from him on Dynamite tonight when you guys are hearing this podcast. Huge. And of course, no one's talking about that because of what happened on the media scrum. But considering what this man did at Double or Nothing to Wardlow, what goes around comes around. We go to JR now. Um, there was a spot that I thought was really cool in the match. Um, it was basically the mimic from the match they had on um, on Dynamite, where except it was reverse, where CM Punk took it to Moxley, hit him with the GTS, and it was like, oh shit, is, this would be interesting if he beats him like in five seconds too. Um, I we all knew CM Punk was gonna win, so it is what it is. The reason I just wanted to hold up, I just thought. I really thought the ending was brilliant where, you know, he comes out and they cut, you know, the voicemail, the video package, you know, him revealing himself to be, you know, who he was. Um, it was a very unique moment. That crowd, you know, one of the things I think Floyd I talked off the air was like, you know, hey, man, I don't know if the crowd was into it because, you know, there was a lot of times during the show where you, the crowd seemed silent. But that crowd was fucking deafening for MJF. I mean, there was like multiple wars when the, the when the lights went out the first time, um, when the Joker showed up on screen, um, then when he took off the mask and said, you know, there was another one. Then when he said, you know, and I'm the devil himself, there was another pop. When he put the scarf on, there was another pop, and then the last one which was the loudest one, was when his music hit in the, um, in the arena. And by the end of that night, they were not, not a single person in that crowd sounded like they were cheering for CM Punk. That sounded like that was 100% for MJF. Um, the one thing I will say was, uh, two things actually. One, I felt that it lingered a little bit too long, like, because they're just staring at each other. It's like, okay, well, is anything going to happen? Um, it may, you know, that's, it felt like it, it went like one, two minutes longer than it should have, which is obviously not that big of a deal. But then you kind of wonder, and you know, and Floyd potentially, you know, add on to this: How does uh, MJF play into this with Stokely and W. Morrissey, Lee Moriarty, Ethan Page, and the Ass Boys? Like, you know, so that's the. Uh, that's the part I'm most interested in is how does how does that fit into his framework when he cuts his promo tomorrow night? Yeah, this match. First of all, stick with the match before I talk about the outside. It was excellent, super physical, uh, very much like without all the chops, but very much that same brand that the Ishii and uh, Kingston match was, just very physical and violent and. You know, Moxley is showing that he'll do anything he can to win this match. He's not a nice person, and I really dug that. And CM Punk was in Chicago. You know, it's you know, it's Undertaker at WrestleMania. You don't beat him. You know, and and he he gave it his all, and he became the first wrestler to beat Moxley clean in a singles match in AEW. I didn't realize that Moxley had not taken one clean loss. 
his whole time in AEW until Chicago on September 4th. So that was an amazing moment. Glad Punk got it. Glad the crowd was there to cheer it. I remember when we went to the uh, the first dance and we I flat out said, it's going to be CM Punk in the main event at All Out next year. And we got there and it was great. And it wasn't everything I thought it was. You know, a couple, you know, it felt like some people wanted Mox to win. The crowd had, it was about 30% Mox, maybe 40%. And that that 40% was very loud at different points in time. And then afterwards, the MJF came out. And I was just like, all I said, oh shit, if CM Punk beats, if CM Punk beats MJF, uh, they're going to, I don't care where they're at, they're going to get booed out the building. Because, this crowd wanted MJF. MJF chance started before when when they do with the mask showed up before he said anything. As soon as the music started, the MJF chance started. It was great. Uh, MJF came out the returning hero because <laughs> it's hilarious that he is. He's the most despicable man. He goes too far, but when he comes back, he got cheered. And at this point, when he came back, all I did in the crowd is just started turning around and looking at the crowd. I didn't even pay, I didn't even look that way. I just was like the idea that this despicable, horrible person that has never said anything good about a person in his life uh, just got cheered like freaking, like it was CM Punk coming into the building. He got the same reaction that CM Punk got when he came to Chicago. And when he came back after seven years, and this dude's been gone a few months. It is crazy. Wrestling is crazy and wonderful and redeeming. And I would hate to be CM Punk or whoever if they ever decide to do the CM Punk versus MJF match. And they decide not to put the belt on MJF because that crowd's going to hate them. Uh, and how it goes with Stokely, how I see it, it's perfect. The pinnacle didn't work out. All he, he says in the promo, I tried to build a faction with family. That shit didn't work. So I just went with employees. There you go. That's how I see it happening. Maybe it doesn't happen that way. But it is very, very cool that we are in the world where CM Punk's champion. And now John Moxley has the shortest title reign in AEW history. All right. Like nine days? Nine days? I think so, yeah. Yeah? If Yeah, if you don't count his interim championship as all of that, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's the champion for nine days. Because he's stuck. All right. Well, that was AEW All Out. A really great show. And then some other shit happened. We'll get to our, our we'll get to our preview for uh, Dynamite tonight in Buffalo, New York. Uh, the shortest preview we've ever had. Shortest preview yet. We're gonna hear from MJF, Yuta versus Garcia for the Pure Championship, ROH Pure Championship, and then Death Triangle versus the Best Friends and Orange Cassidy. There's your preview. Because honestly, we don't know what the fuck's going on tonight. Yeah, they did not give us much. Um, all I can say. As far as any type of preview, I am 152% sure that Daniel Garcia is going to cheat and become the ROH Pure Champion. Yeah. About I, I will say one thing, because uh, this, is, this is the only thing I'll say with my prediction. One, more fans 
temper your expectations for MJF's promo because I think a lot of people are like, man, he's going to go out there and say the, all kinds of fucking crazy shit. Like, don't go out there expecting it, you know, to be the greatest promo in the history of the world. And then all of a sudden he just says, like, Tony Khan, you suck. I'm here to win the title and prove that I'm the best in the world and you're going to pay me a buttload of money and then he can walk off for all we know. So, you know, don't I just keep saying that he's going to go out there with the live mic and just all kinds of crazy shit. Like just temper your expectations and enjoy the show. Yeah. I mean, they're not, yeah. yeah, you know, they're not going to do that. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. No, hey, no. He, well, no, just, he has, was like, Hey, with some people that take sides and Hey, listen, they're not going to listen, but at least I said it. Yeah. Cause it's, uh, everybody's expecting scorched earth. I, oh my god yeah. yeah everybody's expecting him to go out and say CM Punk's a bitch blah 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 he's lucky I wasn't on the other side of that door he's gonna say they want him to say everything and I am of the opinion if he doesn't it's a missed opportunity I mean right now make money out of this right now yeah right now the wrestling world is watching people are tuning in for the train wreck Give them the train wreck. Give them the train wreck. I, I, I just think it's the train wreck is what's best for business. This might not even be what you decided that you wanted to do. But if you're thinking about what's best for business, give everybody the train wreck that they want. Put Max Caster out there. Let him cut some bars <laughs> about, you know, you know everything. He's let already him, tweeted pretty much that he's going to do exactly that. Yeah, let him. Let them let him do his thing, and it's just like, you know, like I said, just, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Everything sucks. This shouldn't have happened, but now that it has happened, you have two choices. You can either, you know, make the best of it, you know, or you know, or you know, lose this uh lose this opportunity that you have here, and it's just. It's there. It's a glaring opportunity. I think this could be uh, a dynamite we could end up talking about uh, for a while if done correctly. All right. Well, I think that will close things out on this episode of All Things Elite. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, please be sure to download the show on Google or Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us on Spotify or anywhere else, uh, give us a share with whoever you wish. You can also leave a rating and a review. Big thank you, of course, to our good friend JR for joining with us on this podcast. He is at Lucha Professor on Twitter. Please give him a follow. And uh, uh, you can follow this show on AT Elite Pod on Twitter and at Social Suplex are the guys that make this show possible. Check out all the other shows they have on their network. You will not be disappointed. I am at Austin Sumowitz, S Z U M O W I C Z. And Floyd is at Floyd Johnson Jr. on Twitter. I will, leave, I will personally leave you with this. Regardless of the situation, don't attack people. Whether they feel one way or the other, you can have your beliefs if you would like. Do not attack people on this. Do not get do not do not get to the ugliness. Like enjoy what like how Floyd is enjoying the dirt. Enjoy all the dirty laundry and all that type of shit, but don't spew dirt at anybody else. There's no need for that. Enjoy the drama if you would like but don't add to the drama is what i would leave you with and i will go ahead and pass it off to floyd and he can take us home for this episode of all things elite i guess 
I was going to, in essence, say the same thing as Austin. So I'm going to reiterate. Uh, these these are people having a disagreement at work, a workplace you don't work at. So have fun. Be online. Say you take your sides. Post your supportive images or whatever you want to do. But don't attack people in real life over an opinion over something they have no control over. You know, you can take punk sides. You can take what side. You can take any side you want to, but it's all just like no one knows 100% of what's going on. I imagine there are people involved that don't know 100% what's going on. But just be nice to each other, love each other, and, you know, sometimes just, you know, watch the world burn because, you know, fire's pretty. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, to, all, to all of you, I thank everyone that's taken a moment to listen. I hope this review and what we talked about was everything you wanted to be. And if you need us to get spicier and hot fire, just go ahead and reply to our uh, reply to our post and uh, we can give you more because I could have went another hour. But it's just, you know, it just seems like everybody's having their thoughts. And until we see how something plays out, there's really not much more else we can say. So I will leave you how I always leave you. From JR for JR and Austin, whether you are at home, you're at work, or at school, always do your best to be elite.